Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer. And on this episode, we are going to be recapping the most recent round in playoffs on the 5 through 1A level and make predictions for each game, including predictions for the 1 and 2A state championships at the end of the episode. I'm going to start in 5A, actually, and we'll just start right on Friday night and talk about the Cherry Creek versus Regis Jesuit game. I was staying tuned into this game through NFHS, and Cherry Creek, you know, was in control for the majority of this game. Uh, They were running pretty wild over this Regis Jesuit defense that looked a little depleted. You know, Cherry Creek averaged five and a half yards per carry on the ground and didn't really have to do all that much rushing for four touchdowns including two from junior Arion Boyd, as well as a rushing touchdown from Carlson Tan, and, you know, 112 yards combined between just the two of them. And then their quarterback, Christian Hammond, also added on a score on the ground, not really having to do all that much to the passing game, going 8 of 13 for just 92 yards. So, you know, that's a little bit of a concern you know Regis in the pass rush game was able to collapse the pocket a little bit and ended up leaving with four and a half sacks three of them coming from senior Ezra Ikubon I believe is how you say that and uh, I believe they were playing without Tuatel in this game so you know that that was kind of the story of this game Uh, Regis's offense was just having too many mistakes you know they fumbled three times and lost one of them and then Xander Carroll their junior quarterback also threw an interception and wasn't super efficient through the air they did get one score on the ground from their junior running back DeAndre Barnes but other than that there was not a whole lot happening for this team that you know barely averaged four yards per carry on the ground even on 40 rushing attempts so you know that's not ideal for a team going against cherry creek where you really need offensive fireworks to you know show out against this creek team that has such a stout defense and an offense that does just enough to win and you know it showed in the box score just how well they were doing on the ground cherry creek possessed the ball for 27 minutes of this game compared to regis's 20 minutes and 50 seconds So, you know, they dominated there. And other than, you know, a couple of penalties here or there, their defense just did a great job of shutting down Regis and keeping drives short and getting this Cherry Creek offense, the ball back, that just kind of grinded out the bones of this Regis Jesuit team. Congratulations to Regis on, you know, a successful season and making the Elite Eight. But they fall just short here as Cherry Creek advances to the Final Four for... I believe the third or fourth year in a row, they continue a long line of dominance and we'll see if this dominance can stay up as they prepare for another team that actually went on Saturday. So I'm going to wait and let Mason take care of that. I'm just going to finish talking about the games that I saw first because I also saw the Columbine and Valor game. And this game was a really close one, honestly. You know, it was tied 7-7 to with like six minutes left to go in the third quarter. And, you know, it, it was just a really close game. But on this drive in the third quarter, Valor was just running it down Columbine's throat. Uh, Allen kept it on a quarterback keeper and gained some yards. Sawchuck was gashing him for like 
four yards at a time. And then, you know, it was fourth down and goal on the goal line. And Jordan Norwood actually was the back on this, on this go ahead touchdown run that gave them the lead. He just powered it right in there for what I believe was his only carry of the night. But that was enough to lift this Valor team up and above this Columbine team that just really didn't get anything going in the second half. You know, they their first drive, they went three and out, and that was to start the fourth. And that was less than ideal, obviously being down by seven. And Valor was, you know, they looked a lot more like themselves in this third and fourth quarter than the rest of the game. And they just drove right down with runs to the left side and right up the gut. Uh, that ended in a field goal to make it, you know, a two-score game with only like three minutes left. And, you know, the announcers to the stream on Valor Sports Network, they said it best when, you know, they noted that Columbine is not built for passing the ball and getting back into a game very quick. I mean, they went 0 for 4 on the drive where they really needed to score there with like three minutes left. And yeah, they, they couldn't even complete a pass. And the passes weren't entirely close. This is why Columbine routinely ends up watching the championship game from home. And I'm going to maintain that opinion until they actually run an offense that's not based out of middle school. So you're wasting all those big linemen by not allowing passing games and whatnot. And yeah, that's just inexcusable. And that's what ends up getting you sent home. They ended up stopping Valor on a turnover on downs but it was the game was already over and they only completed one of their two last passes and valor had you know ended the game and so i think that you know and one of my notes here was they stay in the quarters every year because you know they they lose to heavyweights who know how to throw the ball and that was the case this year and you know valor they didn't throw all that much but i mean Gavin Sawchuck, he took one reception for 59 yards into the house for, you know, one of their two touchdowns of the night. And also want to give a quick shout out to Gavin Sawchuck, who on this 39 carry 174 yard night actually broke Christian McCaffrey's all time record for rushing yards in school history. And it put his career total following the end of this game at 5,470 yards. Obviously, it might have been a bit more if they played more than eight games his junior year. But, you know, congratulations to him and, you know, this Valor team for being dominant for the past few years as, as they were in Christian McCaffrey's time. However, not to take away from what Gavin Sawchuk did, but to put into perspective a little bit because, you know, Gavin Sawchuk broke this record and I saw a lot of very knee-jerk reactions that I think showed just how quick we are to forget how dominant Christian McCaffrey was. You know, I mean, look, he broke Christian McCaffrey's record, which was 5,340 yards through four years. He still has to catch up to his rushing touchdown record, which is 86. Gavin Sawchuk is at 74. He probably won't catch it in these next two games, but, you know, that's that's fine, and you can attribute that a little bit to that lost junior season. But just for some perspective, Gavin Sawchuk's scrimmage yardage is nowhere near what Christian McCaffrey's was. I mean, he has 406 receiving yards over the past four years, and I mean, 59 of those came on one play really recently. 
and you know he returned some kicks you know his freshman year particularly he had 400 and so you know that puts gavin sawchucks at 6392 total scrimmage yards and he registered some tackles on defense but didn't really play defense he's been a great workhorse you know to the tune of like 82 total touchdowns over his career but i mean people are so quick to that they want to call Gavin Sawchuck the best eagle in Valor Christian history. And I have to respectfully disagree because what Christian McCaffrey did for this Valor team to change their culture and to change, honestly, the culture of Colorado football is something that we will probably never see again in Colorado football. I mean, look, 5,340 yards, 86 rushing touchdowns, including over 20 his last three years. And then on the receiving end where he also did a lot of damage he caught for over 2500 yards and another 47 scores not to mention he had another 315 kick return yards and as a punt returner he was incredibly dangerous where he had 571 including 250 plus his junior and senior year so he was a huge contributor on special teams as well returning all four years and you know a couple occasionally passing the ball as well on trick plays but on defense he also contributed quite a bit maybe not so much in the tackle department where he only had 25 over his four years including 12 as a junior but he had four interceptions in those four years and another five pass deflections as well as a fumble recovery that he took for 30 yards a blocked punt a blocked field goal and almost 100 return yards on those interceptions so he played a lot more on other facets of the ball, you know, and I mean, the dude scored, shoot, I mean, 86 rushing touchdowns and 46 or 47 receiving touchdowns for 141 total touchdowns. I mean, you got to be kidding me. He is the best Colorado athlete to come out of this state. And I just wanted to remind people of that because people are so quick to forget and these parents are so quick to forget where you know Colorado football history comes from I mean he had almost 9,000 yards from scrimmage that we will never see something like that probably ever again so just want to put some respect on Christian McCaffrey's name Gavin Sawchuk he's going to end with over 6,000 and have a heck of a career and have a good career over at Oklahoma University as a power back but just to remind people who are quick to say Gavin Sawchuk's the best Valor Christian player in Valor's history just because he passed the rushing total slow down a little bit and show some respect to the legends while also respecting that he's a heck of a power back and one of the best backs in the past decade i also want to mention that in christian mccaffrey's time they literally won a championship every year he was there i mean in 2009 which was his freshman year they won the 3a then they jumped up to 4a and won in 2010 and 2011 and then in 2012 which was his senior year they did win the 5a championship against cherokee trail for four consecutive years four consecutive titles that's something that valor christian has not done in the sawchuck era so just put some respect on the all-time greats a little bit and slow down with the uh you know it, it's kind of like when a three-year quarter like Andrew Luck they're like oh yeah he's he's better than Brett Favre ever was you know, like slow down like you can still respect him and say Gavin Sawchuck is a great running back talent and one of the best we've seen in the past few years but don't leapfrog the player that put Colorado football on the map to say
Sorry, I had to get that off my chest. But we're back into the recap here. And I'm actually going to pass it over to Mason Austin, who made it out to the Grandview and Ralston Valley game on Friday night, as well as the Arapaho and Legend game on Saturday afternoon. And following that, I'm going to talk us through who we have for our picks in the semifinal round. How's it going, everyone? My name is Mason Austin, and you are listening to the Playmakers Corner podcast. And I'm going to be talking about this Ralston Valley versus Grandview game. I do want to start out by just saying that Ralston Valley did come out and surprise me a little bit. Um, and I bet you they surprised most people in the league. Uh, they did not come out running their normal offense. They came out throwing the rock. To start, Ralston Valley got the ball. And then number 25 did do a read option, you know. So it's still running, but they were in the shotgun. And he ran for 56 yards to start. Then number 25 found number one for 11. You know, that was our first pass. They did get a holding. Bringing up a first and five after a holding call brought them back. It was a first and 15. Um, they had an incomplete pass. Third and 15 got brought up. Incompletion. Ralston Valley missed the first field goal. Grandview got the ball in the 10. Zarka uh, found number two for, you know, uh, 15 yard uh, completion. Uh, then it brought up third and seven after that. Zarka then hit number two again for a five yard gain. Um, this is kind of where it kind of went downhill for Grandview in the first half. Zarka threw into triple coverage, throwing the ball directly to a defender, and it was intercepted. So, you know, Ralston Valley got the ball on the 41. Then, after that, Ralston Valley hands the ball off to number three. He gets eight. Then number 58 for this Grandview defense, sacks number 25. Then number 25 hits a screen play uh, to number 15, who gets 15 yards. Um, at this point, number 25's like throwing motion and everything looks pretty nasty. Uh, he looks really, really good. They went ahead and had another first down throw by this number 25, where Ralston Valley did go ahead and fumble on the next play. Giving the ball back to Grandview, where the next drive went kind of back and forth, you know. It was like a 6-yard gain, then a sack, then a 22-yard gain, then gets stuffed. But then, the QB for Grandview throws to number 80 for a beautiful, like, 24-yard gain. But he fumbles at number 29 of this uh, Ralston Valley defense. Did go ahead and recover. Then, this Ralston Valley team tried to take a shot. They threw it down the sideline. Two defenders for Grandview did go ahead and break it up. On the next play, Ralston Valley did a beautiful pull block, which gave number three the room to go 60 yards. 60 on one play. Then the next play, number one for this Grandview team had an insane pass breakup. It would have been a touchdown. Broke it up. Then they sacked the quarterback for Ralston Valley. Number 93 did that. But then RV had a field goal. 9.39 left. In the half, Ralston Valley up 3-0. Three, three this next drive for Grandview after they get the ball kind of just stalls out. Number two dropped a beautiful pass. That would have been a first down. It brought up a fourth down. Grandview punts. So then, you know, Ralston Valley is using their athletes to their best of their abilities tonight. You know, throws it down the sideline again. Number eight for Grandview gets a pass interference as he should. He was holding really, really bad. 
Um, personal foul for number 11 on Grandview for a late hit. Grandview getting a little chippy on this defense, making some mistakes, kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. But here it is. Number three has a two-yard touchdown run, 10-0, 5-13 and a half. Um, Ralston Valley is winning right now. Now, coming out of this next drive, you know, they had a couple good plays for, you know, Grandview, a 10-yard reception, four-yard gain. Then they got tackled for loss by number one of this Ralston Valley. Then, you know, this QB finds number two for 25 yards, and things are looking a little bit up. But then number 29 on the very next play, they run a similar play to the one before. He looks off one defender, throws it down the field. Number 29 of this Ralston Valley defense makes a play and intercepts the quarterback for his second interception of this game. Ralston Valley did go ahead and throw a couple passes, run a couple plays, just ran out the rest of this clock for the half. There's only, you know, two or so odd minutes left. It was 10-0 at halftime. Ralston Valley up, Grandview Bowl to start the half. They start the half with a false start. Number 22 gets a four-yard gain, bringing up a third and nine. Then it was, you know, a sack by Ralston Valley, bringing up a fourth and 15. Grandview, this is where they kind of shot themselves in the foot again, where they hit the returner when he called a fair catch off of their punt, giving Ralston Valley great field position. Now, this is where this Grandview defense did start to turn up a little bit, you know, First and 10 on the 21-yard line for Ralston Valley. Stuffed on first. Stuffed on second. Uh, well, they gained a couple yards on second. Third and six. Then they did go ahead and get a sack by number 57 of this defense for Grandview. Uh, then they did miss another field goal. But it was kind of partially blocked by number 21 for Grandview. And the ball was on the 21 when Grandview started this next drive. Where their QB hit number 21 for 12. 22 got two yards. They had an incompletion. Then an ineligible receiver downfield call. Which really hurt. Bring up a third and 12. But here's where, you know, this Grandview's fast paced, like easily, not easily, but easy strike ability hit. Where, you know, this quarterback hit number 21 for a 50 yard down touchdown bringing up 7-10 with 6-25 in the third. Rawson Valley got the ball back, gets stuffed multiple plays consecutively, uh, bringing up a third and seven. Uh, Grandview really pressured this quarterback and put, put him in a bad situation where he threw the ball basically to the dirt because he didn't want to throw an interception, bringing up fourth and seven. You know, Rawson Valley punts the ball to the 17 of Grandview. Grandview gets the ball. Starts driving a little bit. Then number 52 stuffs number 22. Right at the line. Number 3 drops a perfect throw. Timeout Grandview brings up a 3rd and 7. This is where this QB gets hit while throwing. Not exactly sure how he made the throw. But it got to number 81 for a first down. Number 22 then went for 15. Then number 3 caught a reception for 9. And then number 2 Gets a reception for 22 yard on a post route for a Grandview touchdown where they do miss the field goal and it's 13 10. Grandview winning. Ralston Valley comes out with a big play where number 25 hits number one for 35 yards. 
then eight yard gain. Then number 57 of this Grandview defense gets a tackle for loss. Number 25 is under, he underthrows his receiver who's wide open. This would have been a touchdown. Personal foul for roughing the passer gives Grandview another reason to be mad, you know, because they just got another penalty, but it gives Ralston Valley a first down. And then number 25 runs after breaking a sack for six yards. Then number three on a power run, they brought out the old offense in the red zone. Gets, you know, kind of like a five yard pickup for a touchdown, putting Ralston Valley up. 16-13 with 9-22 left in the fourth quarter. Grandview then goes on the offensive, gets a couple big plays, you know, but then because of this Ralston Valley defense making some beautiful reads on a couple screen passes and a couple short bubble routes, uh, did bring up fourth, Grandview did punt back to Ralston Valley. Then Ralston Valley did get a holding penalty on first down, bringing up a first and 20, incompletion second and 20. And this is where this Grandview cornerback, number one, had a beautiful, like, he's been playing really well all game, but he had a beautiful pass breakup, um, bringing up a fourth and eight. So on this next drive, um, Ralston Valley could have had an opportunity to kind of get this defense off the, or their defense off and give their offense another chance to just run this out. But they had a late hit out of bounds where the QB runs around the corner, you know, gets forced out of bounds. They hit him out of bounds. It was a bad hit. Very bad. But, you know, gives him the first down where then it inevitably leads to number three with a six-yard touchdown reception. 40 seconds left on the clock. Ralston Valley gets the ball in their own 30. Incompletion on first. Incompletion on second. Incompletion on third. Then an incompletion on fourth brings up a turnover on downs where Grandview ends up winning the game 20-16 to 16 on an improbable comeback. And I just want to say, man, this is a really fun game to go see, watch, you know. Um, great job to Rawson Valley. They called a great game. Uh they couldn't have called anything better, but I think if they would have passed a little more throughout the year, they might have been in position to finish a couple more of these drives. Now to call out a couple players, I'm going to start with number two, Jackson Hansen for this Ralston Valley team. And also number two, Bubba Har. Uh, they both played insane, caught some great balls thrown by their quarterback, number 25, Logan Madden. Um... This kid surprised me, you know, coming out there on the rock very solidly. Uh, between them and the two wide receivers, they kind of got the ball done. But number three, Laird Jones also got it done for them. Another great run. And, a, you know, every run that he did was just getting it done. But then on this Grandview side, number, number 12, Liam Sarka. Not not only did he have, you know, kind of a rough start to the game, but he really shook off the rust, came in, played amazing. Number 27, Brody Robinson was playing some insane middle linebacker. Number 22, Musa Alsafar was running this rock like a madman. Um, he had some short gains that were very effective, but he had some big gains that 
got it done when they needed it. But for me, my player of the game is going to be number three, Charlie Dick, who had a couple, you know, receptions for big gains and a couple touchdowns, including the last touchdown to win this game for Grandview, sending them to the next round of playoffs. Congratulations, Grandview. Good luck against Creek. And, uh, Great job, Ralston Valley, on the game you guys called, and I hope to see more of that next season. And that was all of the Friday games. So you had Cherry Creek, Ralston Valley, or not Ralston Valley, Grandview, and Valor Christian all advance. And Mason's going to talk about the Saturday game now. How's it going, everyone? My name is Mason Austin, and you were listening to the Playmakers Corner podcast. Um, I'm going to go ahead and talk about this Arapahoe versus Legend football game. Now, I'm going to start by saying, you know, this is going to be kind of a quicker recap. This was a blowout. Uh, but Arapahoe did start with the ball. Uh, number seven found number one for three yards. But then second play of this, right, or I guess third play after uh, the kickoff. But second play of this drive, number 24 takes the handoff and runs 65 yards straight up the gut. Um, then it goes for 10, then for 2, bring up 3rd and 4. Then number 24 for this Arapahoe offense did get stuffed by number 21 of the legend defense. Then number 24 on 4th down got stuffed, causing a turnover on downs by number 36 of this legend defense. Number 12 of this legend offense finds number 1 for 10 yards. Number 11 takes it up the middle for 12. Then, number 22 for 4. Number 12 tries to extend a play with his feet, throws an incompletion, but they get called back for holding. Number 11 uh, with a 23-yard gain. Number 95, or sorry, 97 of this Arapaho defense stuffs number 11 for a 1-yard loss. Number 11 goes for 23 yards and gets brought down by his face mask, which is a penalty. The number 11 takes a 1-yard gain. Which, number four on this play made a great tackle for this Arapahoe defense. Uh, he stepped around the edge, broke like two people's ankles, ran up, got one yard, and number four stuck it to him. 11 took it for two. Then, 11 took it for four, which made number four for Arapahoe have three consecutive tackles in a row. Number 11 took it for two. Then, Legend tries to throw a bubble play. Number 15 stuffs it. So he like basically just read it perfectly, made it. If he was a second soon, he probably could have picked it. Um, but then number 12, you know, they do kind of a misdirection type of play. Number 12 rolls out, finds number 7 wide open for a 5-yard touchdown pass with a minute 17 left in the first. Legend is up 7-0. Arapaho then goes ahead and gets the ball at the 20 after a touchback. Uh, number 10 takes it for two. Number seven's pass is super high, but it's out of bounds, so it's an incompletion. And right after that, he throws a perfect ball. Like, perfect. Where only number 89 could catch it over the middle. It was just a seam route through it high and to the side. Number 89 catches it. And he got 35 yards right there. 24 takes it up the middle for three yards. Then uh, that ended the first, 7-0 legend up, 24 for one yard, bring up third and eight, number seven, another high incompletion, and then Arapahoe punted, uh, did make it all the way back to the legend 13, so great punt by this, you know, kicker, because they were on their side of the field, 
I want to say about the 40, 50, maybe. Number 22 takes a one-yard run. Number 12 finds number one for a five-yard gain, bringing up third and four. 12 then finds number 22 for 14 yards. Number one stuffs number 10 on a screenplay. It was a beautiful pass, beautiful catch. They just... Arapaho at this point was really reading these screens. Number 12 then finds number one for 17 yards, where number one just really didn't want to go down. He shook the first defender, broke the second defender's tackle, and then broke a third defender's tackle before finally being brought down by like two other guys. Number 22 takes it up the gut for three yards. Then number one drops a screen pass, which was kind of a bad drop. I think he just looked up field too soon. Uh, but then they throw a dot down the side. Number 12 tries to find number one down the side. And A-Rap has a pretty bad pass interference call. Um, bad as in they committed it and it was pretty bad. He hit him way early. Uh, then number 24 for four yards. Number 11 for two. Number 11 gets stuffed by number 40. Bringing up a fourth and three. Legend takes the first of their timeouts. Number 12 uh, catches a double pass here in the red zone. So it was kind of weird. They handed the ball off. He ran a sweep, tipped it back to the last guy to like his receiver, where his receiver found a wide open number 12 for a 12-yard touchdown catch. 14 nothing. 449 left in the half. Arapaho gets the ball on the 20. Uh, gets an encroachment by Legend. 24 takes it for four, bring up a second and one. 24 gets tackled for loss for three, then stuffed on third, fourth and six. Arapaho punts. Legends ball gets on the 45. 11 takes it for five, stuffed by number 40. Tackle for loss by him for like minus two yards. 12 finds 10 for 15 yard with a beautiful toe tap. I just want to take a second to say like, it was like the toe drag swag you see in, you know, the NFL. That's the type of catch this kid made. Number 12. Then finds number 11 on a wheel route. Uh, where he just beats his defender. And he lays it out there. And I thought this ball was overthrown. This kid is quick. He gets there. 21 nothing, With 117 left in the first half. Arapaho gets the ball. Gets a false start. But then number 25. Has beautiful coverage for this legend defense. This would have been a touchdown. He comes over the top of the like offensive player, I guess. From behind, makes a play. Beautiful. Like you can't get better than that. Now in this next play, you know, number seven, he kind of extends the play by running outside because this legend defensive line has been in this guy's face the whole game. The whole game. And he extends the play launches it down the field for 45 yards number 23 mosses two defenders he goes in front of one and above the other catches the ball rips it out of the one guy's hands ends up with the ball in his hands beautiful catch now number seven finds number 10 for 12 yards uh rapo takes a timeout with 44 seconds left in the half uh number seven takes a run straight up the middle for two then he finds number one for a 45-yard toe-tap touchdown in the back of the end zone. Perfectly placed ball where no one else could get this. Perfectly placed uh, catch. Like, his feet were both in bounce, let alone, you know, just being able to make the catch. 
as high as he had to go. He climbed a ladder for it. After the extra point, it ended up being 10.9 seconds left, 21 to 7. But this is where Legend showed their kind of dominance in this game, I think. This is a huge turning point. Arapaho just scored. Momentum was on their side. Kicks the ball to number one, where he takes it 97 yards, running out the last 10.9 seconds of this clock, and scores a touchdown with the extra point, 28-7 going into half. Legend up. Now, coming out of the half, Legend did get the ball. Uh, they went three and out, punted back to, you know, uh, Arapaho. Arapaho gets a false start. Then they start driving, brings up a fourth and eight. Then turnover on downs in the red zone yet again for this Arapaho team. At this point, you know, the fans were saying it. I was saying it. Arapaho would have a lot closer game if they would have taken the three field goals because they were in field goal range. They were, you know, like 10 yards, 11 yards out. So, you know, they ended up giving the ball back to Legend. To start the drive, number 11 takes it for one. Number 12, man, they could have scored real quick right here if the, he would have just barely... I think if he would have waited a second to throw this ball and he had the time in the pocket, you know, he would have hit number one because he was wide open and it would have been a score. No one would have caught him. Third and nine. Number 10 drops a perfect pass, you know, at like probably like 12 or 15 yards down the field. Drops a pure perfect pass by number 12. Fourth and nine. Legend punts again. They come out in completion. Number seven finds number 17 for four yards. Third and six. Number seven finds number 14 for a first down with four, like 14 yards down the field. But he catches it off his helmet. You could say this catch kind of looked like the Giants catching the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Um, caught it off his helmet for a first down. Number 24 then takes it for 11. Then they got a pass interference call on Legend. Or the legend defender didn't even look back, didn't even look where the ball was. The Rappo receiver went up in the air. The legend receiver just hit him. Like the defender just hit him. So, you know, that was a bad one. Number 25, again on the next play, it would have been a touchdown. But number 25 for this legend defense has a beautiful pass breakup. Perfect coverage. This kid is playing out of his mind. Number 24, five yards, third and five on their 10. Number seven overthrows on a... This play call was perfect by Arapaho. Like, absolutely perfect. Comes outside. Number seven overthrows number one by, like, four yards. When he was, like, three yards, he could have shuffled past it to him. He was close enough for that. And it would have been a score. Didn't get it. Arapaho then takes a timeout. Goes for it again on fourth. Turnover on downs because number 75 sacks the quarterback. Legend then takes the ball, and they just start running the rock. You know, 11 takes it for 5, then 4, then 3, then 2. Then he gets stuffed, bring up a 3rd and 8. Incompletion, 4th and 8. A Legend punts yet again to Arapaho. They get a really good bounce, don't get me wrong. It was like a 58-yard punt. Goes to the 21. Arapaho starts driving. Number 7 finds number 1 for 17. Number 7 finds number 1 for 3. Number 7 finds number 2. For 11, number 7 for a 1-yard gain. End of the third, 28-7. Nobody scored for the entirety of the third. Even Arapaho was in, you know, they were in position to score multiple times. They have an incompletion. The number 69 drops a perfect pass. Like, this pass was in his hands. 
Should have caught it, dropped it, incompletion. Then number 10 gets stuffed, bring up a fourth and nine. Number seven to number three, or sorry, number one for a toe tap catch for 12 yards, bringing up a first and 10. An incompletion is thrown after that. Throws it to number 69, and he fumbles in the red zone, giving Legend back the ball where they get stuffed on first. They call a timeout. Number 11 gets a four-yard gain. Number 12 finds number one for 55 yards, barely brought down. Like, if he would have broke the tackle, no one was in anywhere near him. Number 11 gets stuffed. Number 11 gets stuffed by number 85. Third and 11. Number 12 has an incompletion. But they call it a holding on Arapaho because, like, he throws it over the middle. And it ended up giving him, like, a fourth and one is what they ended up with. Then number 12 finds number one for a 14-yard touchdown pass with 536 left in the game, bringing it up to 35-7. to so this is where I left the game because I knew it was over. 5.36 left in the game. Arapaho did go down and score one more time, ending the score at 35-14 to end the entirety of this game. But I feel like the play calling for Arapaho was kind of uninventive at times. And I feel like they needed to produce in the red zone because they drove down to the red zone six times and only had seven points at that point to say for it now i am going to call out a couple names here uh to start i'm going to start with the arapaho side cole hansen was playing out of his mind number seven number 10 pyrese miller was playing out of his mind uh they were both trying to get everything they possibly could not to mention number 24 dj montoya playing exceptionally good and number four alonzo ramirez on the defensive side was getting it done for this team he was on almost every tackle he probably had 14 tackles in this game and six of them solo tackles now number 85 jared ramos you know he was on that defensive line almost alone as it seemed um they didn't have number eight or number 99 eight being jackson adams and 99 being exodus johnson and it was shown that they missed these two on this defensive line because you know they weren't getting the pressure that they normally would and i think it might have been a little bit different of a ball game in that first half if they could have brought a little bit more pressure on this quarterback he had all day at times now for this legend squad i gotta call out number one wide receiver jackson brush he had an insane game, but number 11, Bryce Vaz, was getting it done. You know, he was running the rock. He caught that wheel route that I didn't think he was going to catch, but, you know, he was fast enough to catch it. Number 12, Colton Warner, was getting it done on that offense. You know, like, he was just throwing the ball at will. Number 32, linebacker Cam Morrison. And number 36, linebacker Caleb Bolden both getting it done for that defensive line like they were playing linebacker but they were rushing a lot now number 77 Cruz Garcia I watched him get in the face of this quarterback or yeah the quarterback of Arapaho many 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 times um but the player of the game for me has to be number 12 Colton Warner 
playing out of his mind. Uh, that's all I really could say, and thank you for listening. And thank you, Mason, for filling us in. So now that all of the 5A games have been recapped by myself and Mason Austin, I'm actually going to take us through the picks and the sides of the bracket. So we will have facing off in the 5A semifinal round. You have on the right side of the bracket, the Cherry Creek Bruins versus the Legend Titans. And on the left side of the bracket, you have the Valor Christian Eagles versus the Grandview Wolves. This is the only bracket, I believe, that has one, two, three, and four all remaining. Yeah, because it didn't happen on the 2A level and it didn't happen on the 1A level either. So this is the only bracket that has the top four seeds here in the semifinal round. And I'm going to go through the picks here. So over on the left side, you have the Valor Christian Eagles versus the Grandview Wolves. And... I'm going to go through Simon's and then Mason's pick here. So Simon here is going to choose the Valor Christian Eagles. He noted Grandview had a great run, but Valor has a lot of talented players at many other positions on this squad. I'd be surprised if Valor made it this far just to not go to state. And then Mason Austin is going to also second the Valor Christian Eagles. He said this game could go either way, but Grandview has to play perfect to beat Valor, and Valor does not have to play perfect to beat Grandview. So I think it comes down to Valor having higher talent on their defense. And while I think that Grandview is a very talented squad, I think you are asking a lot of Liam Zarka here to pull out a win over this Valor defense, and I am going to triple down on Valor Christian taking this win over the Grandview Wolves. I just think that their offensive line is the best that Grandview will have seen at any point this season. And, you know, against a similarly high-level team in Cherry Creek, they did not put together quite the game that they needed to, to you know, beat a Cherry Creek. They were just shy. But I think that Valor's offense is better than Cherry Creek's and has a bit more you know, explosiveness to it and experience under center, whether it's better than Christian Hammond or not is up for debate, but it, Colton Allen definitely has more experience than Christian Hammond. And I think that's going to present some tough matchups here for Grandview and Valor will advance to their third consecutive state title appearance here. And you heard it here first, PMC, we are tripled down on Valor Christian beating the Grandview Wolves but we obviously wish both these teams the best of luck and you know we love to be proven wrong so Grandview if you're uh, listening just uh, go shut us up by getting a dub on the other side of the bracket you have the Cherry Creek Bruins facing off against the legend Titans Cherry Creek riding in one of the hottest defenses in all of football in really the nation here against this high-flying legend Titans offense who has really found a groove, you know, these past few weeks, and they haven't scored less than 40 points since the beginning of October. So this is a clash of differences here. And on the Simon front of things, he's going to opt on the air, on, or he's going to err on the side of defense wins championships. He's taking Cherry Creek Bruins over legend and has said, quoted as, saying Cherry Creek's defense has balled out all season, and if they are for real, they will shut down Legend right here. Mason is going to second that opinion, 
and he actually thinks this is going to be a shootout, but Creek matches up very well against this squad, is what Mason said. So that is two picks for the defending state champions, Cherry Creek Bruins. And on that note, I am going to actually head the opposite direction and stay true to my bracket and have Legend in the championship game. I like the way that they dominated against Rappo, being able to move seamlessly. And I think that, you know, Cherry Creek's offense trying to play keep away will only work so long against this legend offense that is just one explosive play from getting on a roll here. They were having fun this last week against Arapahoe and clowning on a team. And I think that that is exactly the vote of confidence that I need from a legend team who I think has a solid enough defense to, you know, make cherry creek work and cherry creek might have to beat this team over the top and that's where legend wants you to be is trying to keep up in a shootout i am going to take legend here and be the only one for pmc who takes the legend titans obviously we wish both these teams the best of luck and either way one of these teams is going to prove someone wrong but that is two to one pmc is voting for the cherry creek bruins to win on this 5a level we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we will talk 4A playoffs coming up. Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. Thank you for listening to our 5A segment. On this segment, we will be talking 4A football recap and preview for next round. And so we're going to start on Friday night where the number one seed Montrose dispatched of the number eight seed Fountain Fort Carson winning in a 48 to 14 dominant blowout where they ran silly over Fountain Fort Carson. While Montrose didn't run for a touchdown until three minutes were left in the first, they ran for four touchdowns in the second quarter before sprinkling in a passing touchdown just before half to make it 42 to nothing heading into half. And Montrose just dominated the front line and grinded out long drives and gashed Fountain Fort Carson here for runs left and right. And, you know, Fountain Fort Carson threw a score with five minutes ago, I think in the third. But this is, I'm pretty sure after Montrose pulled their starters. And then Fountain Fort Carson recovered a fumble for a touchdown. But that was the end of scoring until Montrose ripped off a 75-yard touchdown to end the game. And ultimately, Montrose did the same thing that they've done all year. They ran silly over uh, stout defense, and they just played really physical up in their front seven and didn't allow any breathing room for this Fountain Fort Carson offense that is known to be a bit hot and cold and was definitely the weakness of this FFC team coming in. And then the defense just didn't quite match up as well up front against this Montrose team that continues to prove that they are the number one seed in the 4A for a reason and they are now in the final four. Continuing to talk about Friday night, there was another marquee matchup that was a rivalry game, actually, of the Jeffco rivals, Dakota Ridge versus Chatfield, and this game was very back and forth with, you know, Chatfield's Marshall being one of the standout athletes that he is, ripping off an 80-yard 80, 80 run to get the scoring going. And, you know, on the next drive, Dakota Ridge, they took a sack, so they had to take a field goal, making it 3-7 to seven in the first. But then Adam Graves got clicking, and he found a receiver to take the lead for Dakota Ridge, 10-7. to seven. And then 
Chatfield had a receiver that actually slipped on a throw and an acrobatic diving interception was made for Dakota Ridge. And then on the very, either on the next play or the play after that, Noah Triplett ripped off a long touchdown run as he has all season to increase this Dakota Ridge lead to double digits, making it 17 to seven. And Chatfield was unable to respond, missing a field goal heading into half and being down by double digits. Starting out of the half, Dakota Ridge did get another touchdown here to increase their lead to 17, you know, with two minutes left to go in the third quarter. So Dakota Ridge had to be feeling good. They feel like this is the year that they could finally get the monkey off their back and go to state and secure a dub. But Chatfield had something else in mind with the combination of Mason Lowe and Jake Marshall both scoring touchdowns here in the third quarter and, you know, closing the gap of this game to a, you know, 21 to 24 score heading into the fourth quarter. And then that is when this game started to get really crazy. You know, Chatfield, they found an opening over the top when Mason Lowe found Brack, Brock Narva for a 29-yard receiving touchdown and taking back the lead from Dakota Ridge to make it a 28-21 ball game, or 28-24 ball game, I should say. But then on the very next drive, Adam Graves hit a wide receiver deep downfield and just this wide receiver beat both of the defenders on a straight-up foot race to retake back the lead, 31-28. to But, you know, Chatfield, they were not going to be shaken so easily because Jake Marshall on the very next drive ripped off a long touchdown run, a 70-yard touchdown run, as a matter of fact, to make this a... to take back the lead here for Chatfield. And just a few minutes later, Brock Narva would put icing on the cake here, in making this a two-possession game as Chatfield made their lead 42-31. to 31. So, you know, Dakota Ridge, they need 11 points here in the last four minutes of the game. But unfortunately, a pass gets deflected off of a Dakota Ridge wide receiver, and, you know, this drive was looking really good where Graves found a hitch. They ran for a first down. He had a great pass in between two defenders to Dante for a pick above 20 yards or so. Another hitch for eight yards. And they were driving really hard on this Chatfield defense and they did not have a solution. And, you know, Adam Graves looked great on this drive. You know, he found another hitch where, you know, it was understood that Chatfield was playing a bend-don't-break defense. You can see Graves on the next play go through all of his reads before going to a dump-off for, like, three yards. And then on this deep slant, you know, it popped off the shoulder pads or the defender punches it up. And, you know, Mason Gallagher for Chatfield ices this game truly and surely with an interception. And Chatfield sends Dakota home. This was a very intense back and forth game, much like the first one was where Dakota Ridge won by a single point over Chatfield. Chatfield was not going to be bested twice by Dakota Ridge this year, and they will advance to the semis to face the winner of the game that Simon is going to fill us on, who was the other Friday night game. 
What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. My name is Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and I'm going to talk about this Pine Creek versus Loveland playoff game. And this was a close one. We knew before going into this game that it would be a close one. I knew that before going there. And so here's how it went down. Loveland would travel to Colorado Springs to go ahead and play Pine Creek at D20 Stadium. And right away, you know, it got going. Pine Creek, they got the ball early on in the first quarter. They did decide to go for it on fourth and got it on a fake punt run. But eventually... um, Loveland would actually stop Pine Creek on fourth down and get the ball back. And, you know, Loveland, they're a running team, so they did what they always do. They run it. And so on this touchdown drive, they ran it a lot. You know, a bunch of different people carried the ball, um, including their quarterback, number two, Garrett Harstead. I also believe number four, Brandon Hensel, got some carries in there as well, mostly on sweep and end round plays. So there you go. But there was a pretty significant uh, throw on this drive. It was like a 20-yard throw that Harstead completed. And so that will get them set up on the goal line. And then Harstead would go ahead and have a nice 10-yard touchdown run to make it 7-0 Loveland pretty early on. Now, Pine Creek, I mean, they have a pretty similar offense, and so that was obvious when at the one-minute mark, Jojo Roy would break off a nice 30-yard run that almost went for more if he wasn't tripped up, but he was. And you know what? Going into the second quarter, it was Jojo Roy again who would have a 15-yard run that would get them to the 12 in the red zone around the 11-minute, 30-second mark. But, you know, this Loveland defense held strong. And what what happened is that Joe Roy he would not complete a crucial pass on fourth down. And so Loveland gets a pretty big goal line stand early on here at, at the 10-minute mark in the second quarter. And so Loveland would be driving. But, you know, Pine Creek, they play tough defense. And so they would actually force a punt after one first down. And then this is kind of where, you know, both teams went back and forth defensively. Loveland would then force a three and out on Pine Creek. And then at the three minute 38 second mark, Pine Creek would force a fumble on third down. And then this is something that was really interesting uh, that happened. So Pine Creek, they would be driving. They're in the red zone. And then Jojo Roy, I want to say either on second or third down, takes a pretty tough hit to the lower body couldn't tell if it was a knee or whatnot but he takes a pretty bad hit um he was trying to roll out left the linebacker was there and he absolutely got nailed and so jojo roy comes out of the game with an injury and you know what that pine creek would actually stall out and you know they would attempt a field goal on fourth down but they would miss it and so there you go pine creek turns it over in the red zone there at the two minute 22 second Mark now at a minute eight second, you know, Loveland they're running the ball and they're trying to, you know, get another score here potentially. And so, around the 23 second mark, Harstead does find his boy number four Hensel 
for about 30 yards on that reception. And then, you know, they're in the red zone or either in the red zone or on the edge of it. But a pretty costly intentional grounding play uh, pushes them out of scoring range. And that basically ends that first half there. Now, going into the third quarter, you know, it's still a pretty close game. Loveland is only up 7-0 to zero at this point. But in the first half, they're moving the ball pretty well. Now, in the second half, that would change as Pine Creek would uh, get strong on defense and kind of discipline up here. And they would force a three and out on that very first Loveland drive. And so with that being said, you know, at this point, Joe Jeroy, he was on the sideline. But basically, he was ruled out and the freshman backup quarterback, Cameron Cooper, came in for Pine Creek. Creek and so this is something that we got to keep an eye on going into next week because we initially thought maybe Jojo would be able to go back in we saw him kind of testing out you know his legs and whatnot it appeared to either be an ankle or knee injury but ultimately Pine Creek decided to hold him out and go with their freshman backup down seven to zero now you know he wouldn't do too much here throwing wise but he would make some pretty interesting plays to kind of keep pine creek in this one including a key fourth down conversion where he would basically just run it up the middle get a couple yards here and get that first down to keep this pine creek drive going then around the four minute 30 second mark you know pine creek they're driving and they kind of stall out but they are in field goal range and so they go ahead and hit a 38 yard field goal to make it seven to three loveland is still leading here Following that, though, Loveland would get the ball, and Pine Creek would force another 3-and-out at the 2-minute 35-second mark to give Pine Creek the ball back. But they couldn't do too much with that, as they would get a first down before punting the ball right back to Loveland. And then all of a sudden, it's the fourth quarter. You know, it is still 7 to three but in the fourth quarter on third down pine creek's defense would get a huge tackle for loss and then around the 10 minute mark it was fourth and two and then number 27 on pine creek i believe that is landon neal he is a senior on this team would absolutely nail the running back of loveland in the backfield on fourth down going ahead and stopping them and so pine creek has the ball and they're driving once more now you know they're having a pretty good drive and then there is a penalty that makes it first in 25 and you know what this is where cam cooper would kind of make a bit of an impact here on first and long, he would rip off a really nice 22-yardish run um, where he juked a couple guys and then would slide to go ahead and make it a more manageable second down. And then two rumbling runs later, it was Zion Hill that would go ahead and pound it in for Pine Creek here, making it 10 to seven after the PAT. Zion Hill would take three carries about 20-ish yards and go ahead score for himself. Now Loveland, they still have a chance here. And you know, there's only three minutes left in the fourth quarter where they get a huge play. Uh, the quarterback Carson once again finds his boy number four, uh, Brandon Hensel for about a 50-yard reception here. You know, initially I thought maybe the ball was thrown out of bounds, and I think the corner did too, which is why he stopped. But Hensel, he would keep running and would go ahead and rip it off before finally getting dragged 
down here. Now, Loveland, they're driving, you know, and so they're in the red zone. They would get a huge first down uh, around the minute 31 second mark. That would put them inside the four here with a fresh set of downs with a minute 31 seconds. I believe Loveland maybe has a timeout. And so here's what happened with 54 seconds left. It is third and one. Pine Creek has stood strong on first and second down, getting some, you know, pretty solid tackles, preventing them from scoring. But it is third and one here. And Pine Creek would come up with a big stuff to go ahead and make it fourth down and one. And so with a couple of seconds left, around, you know, 40-ish seconds left in this football game, Loveland is in a fourth down situation basically right up on the goal line they need to get maybe two or three yards here to score and win this game so it's either that or they kick the field goal and so they decide to forego the field goal which would tie the game and go for the win here potentially for the win here and so here is the play with about 40-ish seconds left Loveland they go ahead and decide to call an outside run here to number seven Tyson Williams and you know what? This is not a bad call. If any run play was going to work, it would have to have been a sweep or one of these outside runs because they were stuffing them leading up to this point. And so it made sense, but it did not matter. Pine Creek would go ahead and get a huge stuff led by Brett Alvey, I want to say, actually. And obviously a whole host of Pine Creek Eagles, but I believe it was Alvey who led the charge and hit the guy uh, right before he could cross the line. And then the rest of Pine Creek came over and stopped that run. And Pine Creek would go ahead and survive after having that fantastic and sensational goal line stand winning this game 10 to 7 over Loveland without their starting quarterback Jojo Roy obviously there aren't a lot of stats to talk about here um, I'm just gonna throw this out there both quarterbacks in total you know there are five pass attempts each one completed one so two for five and they only threw for about 26 yards here so there you go. And then rushing-wise, on offense, Zion Hill, the senior running back number 8, would lead the charge with 31 carries, 165 rushing yards, and the game-winning touchdown to go ahead and put Pine Creek over the edge here. Defensively is where most of these stats lie. And so for Pine Creek, it was actually Brett Alvey, number 34, who led the team in tackles with 19 total tackles, two tackles for losses. Uh, I believe both of those tackles for losses, those TFLs, were sacks, which proved to be big because field position was everything for this squad. And so there you go, the middle linebacker, Brett Alvey, kind of being the MVP, the player of the game here with 19 total tackles, two sacks, and those two TFLs, including the big tackle that would go ahead and shut down Loveland and end their season, unfortunately, and beat the defending champs there. And so Pine Creek will move on and play in the next round of the playoffs. And, you know, we'll see what the status of JoJo Roy is moving forward. It might be possible that, you know, they're going to have to lean on their freshman backup, Cameron Cooper, here. Um because I just don't know the extent of Jojo Roy's injury. And I know he has been battling some injuries the last couple weeks here, um, beginning, you know, back late in the season. So 
just throwing all of that out there. We'll see what happens. Hoping the best for him. Uh, congrats, Pine Creek, and for Loveland. You know, I do apologize about your season. They are a very good football team, and, you know, this was a hard-hitting one. So there you go there. And thank you, Simon, for filling us in on that game. And I'll hear your prediction here in a minute, right after I talk about the only 4A game that was on Saturday, and that was when the Palmer Ridge State runner-ups of last year hosted the Erie Tigers. And this game kind of got off on a slow start, you know, on the first drive, both teams punted their opening drives away. This was before Blake Barnett started to get going here for this Erie team. And he found number two on a deep corner route on a beautiful pass to set them up in the red zone. But this ended up <laughs> not mattering because number 10 for Palmeridge intercepted a bad Barnett read in the end zone to flip possession here and give Palmeridge a chance to capitalize on Erie's mistake. However, they did not. They didn't come away with any points and they had a terrible punt that set Erie up on the 35 going in. And this, this drive ended with a longer Blake Barnett touchdown run to give Erie a lead seven to nothing. And so heading into the second quarter, the Palmer Ridge offense stalled out once again and gave Erie the ball back. But this didn't matter because, you know, well, okay, it did matter because Erie... Uh, with the ball, Blake Barnett, he threw for a first down. And then number five for this Erie team, who is senior running back Caleb Tyson. He had some serious stiff arms and broke some tackles for multiple games here, especially one that came on a third down and three, you know, that was a gain of seven. But then Erie eventually faced a fourth and three. And Blake Barnett had a quarterback keeper where he scrambled for a first down. And this set up Erie inside of the red zone. And this drive ended on another Blake Barnett rushing touchdown as he kept it on a one-yard under-sunder scramble to increase the Erie lead 14 to nothing. And so then you get a couple of punts and then stops and back and forth. And then Palmer Ridge here, you know, they start finding a bit of a groove. Their quarterback finds number 81 for a big completion and first down. And then they complete a bubble pass on the next play for like four yards. And their quarterback shows flashes, you know, every once in a while. He hit this wild throw where he was running to his left. He's a right-handed quarterback, mind you. And, you know, he hit number five for a first down. Then another quick slant for a pick of a five. And then with on third and one with a minute 11 left, they did get the first down because of a roughing the passer call. And they got set up on the 27-yard line going in with under a minute left. But then the Palmer Ridge quarterback does, you know, this thing where he just gets a little too confident. And so rolling left, he tries this weird sidearm, very, very unsound, undisciplined throw. And that ends on an interception where Erie kills this drive. And so, you know, they, uh, Erie, they get the ball back here with 40 seconds left. But they don't, you know, get anything out of this. And, you know, they go into the half with a lead of 14 to 0. Then to start the second half, Palmer Ridge gets the football. And, you know, they end up having to punt on their first drive. And Erie gets the ball back. And, you know, they Erie ends up having to punt right back. And 
Palmer Ridge on their next drive, they get a wild deflection that somehow lands in their receiver's hands and sets them up on the other side of the 50. And on the next play, they get a bubble pass that goes all the way to the house, but that is called back for a holding penalty, which is just, you know, it would kill a lot of other teams, but Palmer Ridge, they stay composed. They get a deep pass to number 10, who gets behind the defense and sets up Palmer Ridge in the red zone. And Palmer Ridge comes away with the field goal, getting points on the board, and is down 14-3 to to Erie. Then, you know, Erie on the next drive, they're up 14-3, to and Blake Barnett hits a beautiful pass just over the linebacker and just outside the cornerback for a first down on third and 14. And then on the very next play, number five, you guessed it, Caleb Tyson for this Erie team. He turns on the Jets and breaks off down the left sideline to increase Erie's lead 21-3. to And so Palmer Ridge, they get the ball back with five minutes left in the third quarter and they need a touchdown in this game if it is if they're going to stand a chance and you know that's that's fine because palmer ridge they respond accordingly this is a very tenured and tested program they do have a first year coach here but he's been around the block for a long time we here at playmakers corner have a lot of respect for him and he keeps these guys composed as they come and they get some big chunk runs and quick passes and get inside the 20 yard line and you know they they do run for a touchdown, but that gets called back from penalty. But that doesn't matter because two plays later, they still find the end zone on a run where number 54 could not bring down the running back and cut into the Erie lead 10-21. to 21. On the next Erie drive, they, he, they try to get a little cute here. So number five, he takes a swing pass for an Erie first down, but that gets called back for a penalty. And on third and 24, Blake Barnett is buying time and he squeezes a pass into double coverage by the sideline. It was an incredible throw with high velocity, a very high level throw and a reason why he was on our radar last year and continues to prove that he's going to be one of the top quarterbacks in Colorado for the next few years. He forces it to be a fourth and five. Erie takes a timeout. Palmer Ridge is ready for the fake punt here that Erie runs. They committed a holding penalty on it but it doesn't matter because palmer ridge stops them just short of the sticks with that you know tenured defense there and so they start at the 35 yard line to start the fourth quarter and palmer ridge they they continue to prove why they have made it this far and why they are so consistently a dominant program because they get a massive catch by number 81 who just elevates and saves his quarterback and moves the chains, setting him up on the 37-yard line going in. Then the quarterback almost, well, he does cough up the ball, but Palmer Ridge lands on it, and they get it on the 23-yard line. Then they get a run for the first and, you know, are on the 20-yard line. And then 81 is tasked with a game of 500 in a pass to the end zone that he rips away from the defense. And Palmer Ridge also converts on a two-point conversion on a Wildcat keeper play to make it a three-point game with eight minutes and ten seconds left. And so this Erie team, who has been relatively untested for most of the year, they face their first real big test against a seasoned championship contender in Palmer Ridge. And it is gut check time for this Erie team. And so they start on the 40-yard line here. They get a decent return. They get a first down run. And then another seven yard run. Blake Barnett 
has a quarterback keeper for a first down, and they are just gashing this Palmer Ridge defense up and down the field. They get a run for five. They get another first down run. They force an offsides, and so it is first and six just like that on the Palmer Ridge six-yard line. And, you know, Blake Barnett, he can't quite get the edge on second and five, uh, or he can't quite get the edge, and so on second down and five, it is a read option, and Blake makes the correct read and keeps the ball, and he skies for the end zone and dives to make it a 28-18 to ball game with 345 left in the fourth quarter. And this is a tall task for any team, but Palmer Ridge, you know, they overcome a sack on first down that eats up 30 seconds of the clock and makes it second and 11. But then on the next play, you know, Erie only brings a two-man rush and shows max coverage and the quarterback underthrows a receiver and it's almost a pick. And then it's third and 11. They get a five-yard pass with three minutes and six seconds left. But on the next play, on fourth and six, they managed to convert for a first down. And then on the next play, the quarterback pulls some rabbit out of the hat tricks and avoids a what would have been a huge sack from number 55 on this Erie team. And he manages to throw the ball away instead of losing like 10 yards. Then they benefit from another tipped pass that finds its way into the hands of number two, who is on the other side of midfield. They get a quick completion inside the 30 and you think, wow, maybe Palmer Ridge, you know, they get a touchdown here and then they get an onside kick and they could really be in business and force the issue with this eerie team. But this inexperienced quarterback rears his ugly decision-making head and he throws for some reason, basically a Hail Mary throw into triple coverage where it ends up intercepted. I wrote, what the heck did you think was going to happen? I believe it was number five on Erie making plays on the defensive side of the ball as well. And so with two minutes and 10 seconds left in the game, Erie runs the time out basically until Palmer Ridge has to use their last timeout with a minute and 11 seconds left and they have to start on their own one yard line. That is an, you know, and that's a tall order because they're going to need a miracle to A, just not get safety in the first place and B, pull out a win. It is just not enough time for this Palmer Ridge team, and they fall short of their Final Four appearance. And Erie will advance to the semifinals with a 28-18 win, and they continue kind of uh, my prediction trail in my bracket, if you recall. And this is an upset over Palmer Ridge. Palmer Ridge will be back for sure these next few years. They always have a good program, but I just wanted to give a shout-out to, you know, the Monument Moving Company. They have some graduating guys on that line who are all phenomenal players like Alec Falk and Connor Jones. You'll be hearing those names here more on the show. And, you know, I also want to note in this game that Anthony Costanzo was on the sideline and he was, or he will be featured on our top five safeties list. So go ahead and keep an eye out for that. But it hurts to be missing a guy like that, especially against a quarterback like Blake Barnett. I'm pretty sure he saves some of these big chunk plays and this, and also contributes some big chunk plays as a receiver. And you gotta miss that heading into this game. I'm not sure what his injury or status was, but he was on the sideline this game, and that hurts Palmer Ridge. And, you know, but Palmer Ridge, they still have a great year under a first year coach. So, congratulations to that program on how far they made it, and good luck to Erie in this next round. And so, speaking of next round, it is time to make predictions 
for the semifinal round. And so on the left side of the bracket, you do have Montrose number one seed versus the Erie Tigers. And I'm actually gonna go with my predictions first. I'm going to take the Erie Tigers to follow through on my bracket prediction and make an appearance in the state title game for 4A. But it's gonna take everything they have and some Blake Barnett cannot be making the bonehead mistakes that he made at times in this game. And their defense is gonna to have to be uber physical against a Montrose team that the rest of Playmakers Corner favors here. And so Simon Villanos, Coach V, he takes Montrose in this game, quote, Montrose deserves their respect, and so I'll give it to them as I predict them to go to state, end quote. Montrose, of course, being the, well, this is a battle of two undefeated teams, actually, and Montrose actually beat Palmer Ridge as well, so that's something that these teams have in common. Then Mason here will also take Montrose, saying, quote, I don't know if Erie can handle the tough offensive running game that Montrose brings to the table. I think this will be the closest game Montrose has had all season and it can go either way end quote but that puts us playmakers corner is choosing montrose two to one curious on who you guys are rooting for in this game but i am taking the eerie tigers who i've had to coach against to make an appearance in this state game on the other side of the bracket you have a rematch actually of a game from earlier this season and that is between the Chatfield Chargers and the Pine Creek Eagles here. And so jumping right into this, in the first matchup, Chatfield lost 22 to 28. They, you know, this was a very tough game, a very back and forth game, but one that didn't have the talents of Mason Lowe for Chatfield, who was a game changer in the Dakota Ridge game. And I think that Chatfield continues its revenge tour en route to its first state title appearance in some time, spoiling Pine Creek, who I'm not sure how healthy Josiah Roy is and if he's going to be able to play the whole game. And, you know, Cameron Cooper, he's a really good freshman quarterback, but I think that this Chatfield offense is going to look way more dynamic than they did against Pine Creek the first time around, and that's going to put a heavier toll than, that, than was asked of this Pine Creek offense against the likes of Loveland. And so in what should be a pretty high scoring game, in my opinion, we should see a very similar score. But I think Chatfield comes out on top in this one. As for my co-hosts, I think that they are once again going to all disagree with me here. Oh, wait, actually, Mason Austin is going to echo my sentiment here where a lethal rushing attack will help the Chatfield Chargers win this game. But it will be a close one. So that is two picks for Chatfield. And Simon here is going for the hometown team where he says, quote, if Jojo Roy is healthy, I think Pine Creek handles Chatfield like they did before and go back to the chip. I still have faith in Cameron Cooper, the freshman, if he's the starter, end quote. And so Simon will be taking the Pine Creek Eagles. But here on Playmakers Corner, we actually have Chatfield favored two to one to win on this 4A semifinal level. And that'll do it for the 4A segment. Coming up next, I will can I will talk about all of the 3A matchups and our predictions for the next round. Coming up. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. And on this segment, we are talking 3A football recap. And we're going to start from the closer games and work our way to the games that weren't as close. And 
The closest game this weekend was Meade overcoming the Durango Demons in Durango, 14 to 13, in what was one of the more upsets, uh, one of the bigger upsets in Colorado football this past weekend. And, you know, it started off with Meade on their opening drive, converting three fourth down conversions, including a fourth and two on the goal line where they got a rushing touchdown from Sean Medlock. And they ate up five minutes on this incredibly long drive and a lead that, you know, they would hold on to for quite some time in this game. And Durango, they were riddled with mistakes here on their opening drive. They used their second timeout. And on Meade's opening drive, they used one. So they already were down two timeouts here in the very first quarter. And they, you know, got sacked a couple of times. And they had to punt from within their own five-yard line. Which set up Meade great on, you know, going in on the other side of the 50. But they just did not uh, do well. They actually ended up turning the ball over on downs after being unable to convert on a fourth and four. Because, you know, they... they well, you know, they turned over on downs. You get a couple of other punts here going back and forth. Durango then, they fumbled, and Christian Ayers for Meade recovered, giving Meade another chance to score. And, you know, they ran for a first down and also got a long completion. But then they took sacks on back-to-back -back plays, putting them from the 13 all the way back to the 23 and setting them up for a fourth and 20 that they would not convert. So kudos to the Durango defense for holding it down. But, you know, they they missed a field goal with just under three minutes left in the first quarter. And so they remained scoreless. You exchange a couple of more punts here. But that it was until Durango, you know, they got their first play from scrimmage on their own 30-yard line. They managed to get a pass that took them all the way to the 28. And they would not miss out on another opportunity here as they completed a five-yard touchdown pass to tie it up 7-7 seven to seven with 8 minutes left in the third quarter. And what does Meade do? Well, they ride the highs of plays of 23, 14, and 16 to get within the 5-yard line where Corby Teku does what Corby Teku does best and he punches it in from the 3 to recapture a lead, putting Meade up 14-7. to seven. So each team, they exchange punts before Durango starts from their own 45-yard line and starts the fourth quarter with a fourth down conversion of 20 yards and followed up with a 13-yard gain and route to a two-yard rushing touchdown with nine minutes to go. And this is the story of the game, actually, right here with nine minutes to go. Instead of going for the tie, Durango opts to go for two points in a decision that will haunt this team this offseason because a failed attempt, you know, puts them down by one with nine minutes and Meade would grind out the rest of this game with key force downs and forcing defensive penalties to leave Durango with a win and not have the longest bus ride of all time all the way back beating Durango 14 to 13. And so my notes for this game is just that Durango, the defending 3A champions, they appeared to just come out completely flat and sloppy while Meade's defense was opportunistic and disciplined to help an offense out of the doldrums conjure up a win and move on for a rematch against you know a fellow northern colorado kind of rival speaking of northern colorado up northeast you had the fort morgan mustangs versus the frederick warriors this was the second closest game fort morgan rode the highs of three interceptions and two rushing touchdowns as well as a passing touchdown 
to leave Frederick with a 21 to 14 lead, but that wasn't until, you know, they had to overcome. Frederick actually started off with a seven to nothing lead before the first quarter ended because, you know, they had a pass play that went for 51 yards and, you know, they punched it in and secured their only lead of the game until Fort Morgan, you know, they rode some big plays of 15 and 33 before getting a rushing touchdown. And then on another drive, they forced a well, they forced a punt from Frederick and scored again with another rushing score to take a lead that they would not relinquish. And they forced an interception and had the ball on the 31 going in and capitalized off of that turnover to increase their lead to a 21 to 7, you know, margin with only a minute left in the half. Fort Morgan started off with the ball in the second half, but Frederick actually forced a punt and then found themselves in the red zone with a deep pass. But the Fort Morgan defense, as they have done all year, they clutched it up and forced a turnover on downs. However, the Frederick defense returned to the favor and forced a turnover on downs to start the fourth quarter. And off of this turnover on downs, they got some favorable runs to set up a rushing touchdown with eight minutes to go to close the lead to a one-score game down 14-21. to 21. Fort Morgan, you know, they turned over on downs uh, inside of the Frederick 20-yard line, but they, before doing that, they ate five minutes off the clock and gave the Warriors only two minutes to tie this game before intercepting the ball once again on their own 22-yard line to seal the game and not allow overtime or any other nonsense. And so some of my notes from this game that I found somewhat surprising is that Frederick was passing the ball quite a bit for a team that has found so much success on the ground. I mean, their running back Parker Ayers had 25 rushing touchdowns this season. And another surprise is that the quarterback was making a lot of mistakes after throwing nine TDs and zero interceptions the regular season. He threw three interceptions on the day. I'm not sure if the depth chart was different or if it was someone else because I was not able to watch this game, but that was the story. And, you know, I've seen this Fort Morgan team live and are live, I should say, and I know that they have insane grit and toughness to them, but they are going to need to convert in the red zone if they want to rematch with, you know, the number one seed, Roosevelt. Speaking of Roosevelt, that was the next closest game this weekend. They faced off against Holy Family. And, you know, they jumped out to a 14 to nothing lead very quick before Holy Family found the end zone on a Ryland Cooney pass, making it 7 to 14 near the beginning of the second quarter. But the Rough Riders would score again on offense in a day where the Holy Family defense just could not slow them down. And Jaden Casanueva would make arguably the turning point play of the game as he took an interception the other way, increasing Roosevelt's lead to 29 to 7 and a lead that, you know, Holy Family would be trying to play catch up with all day, but just couldn't close the gap, you know. I mean, Tyler Stevens, you know, he found the end zone on the ground to cut into the Rough Rider lead, but they failed the two-point conversion, and they enter the half down 13-29. to 29. And so right out of the half, they ride CSU commit Cooper Walton's rushing touchdown to increase their lead, and Holy Family, attempting to keep pace with Roosevelt, scored on a rushing touchdown and converted the two-point to keep the score within 15 heading into the fourth down 21 to 36 but Brock Saya was playing great today he found Tucker Peterson for the second time 
and then also found Bronco Hartson on a two-point conversion to increase the lead to 44-21. And the Holy Family offense held up its end, scoring once again, but failing the two-point conversion to go down 27-44 before Xavier Ramirez for Roosevelt helped put icing on the cake for this 50-burger here and got a rushing touchdown. And Holy Family, too little, too late. They score and fail a two-point conversion to lose this game by a final of 33-51. to Kudos to Holy Family for a solid season. And, you know, I put in my notes here that if Holy Family didn't spot Roosevelt those first 14 points from the second quarter on, or in that first quarter, from the second quarter on, this game is 33-37 to and looks a lot closer than it was. But, you know, Tucker Peterson had a lot to do with that. In that first quarter, he had a receiving touchdown as well as an interception to increase that lead 14 to nothing. And he also had a pass deflection. He was uncoverable in this game, actually, going off for over 100 yards and two scores. And I think that Jaden Castanueva's pick six defined this game, you know, giving Roosevelt the multiple possession lead that they just would not be able to, you know, lose for this entire game. And Roosevelt did what they always do. This is the second time they beat Holy Family this year. And, you know, they're looking to repeat with a second win over Meade this year as well in the semifinals of the playoffs as the number one seed. Before talking those predictions, really, really briefly, I'm just going to talk about Lutheran's demolishing of Palisade. They won 49-7. to It's the same story we've seen from Lutheran all season. Clayton Jacobs, you know, he threw four touchdown passes on just seven passing attempts. And he had the same number of incompletions as he did interceptions, which was zero and a quarterback rating of 177.1 and definitely put his name in the hat for playmaker of the week, but he wasn't even needed to play this entire game. He, you know, seeded the rest of his snaps to other senior quarterback and, you know, 10 different receivers caught passes in this game and Lutheran has yet to play a game within 21 points outside of their one out-of-state matchup against another school named Lutheran. Kudos to Palisade for, you know, getting some, you know, good plays this season and for having a pretty solid season on the 3A level and producing some great playmakers in the likes of Kevin Sjorgen, uh, Malachi Espinosa, as well as another running back who I'm blanking on who won the Playmaker of the Week earlier in the year. And, you know, that they just that was a tough matchup having to face Lutheran. Really, it's just unfortunate, really. And so continuing to talk about Lutheran, they will face off against the three seed Fort Morgan Mustangs on Saturday at one o'clock. We unfortunately will not be able to make that game because we will be at the state games for one and two a. But talking about Lutheran, excuse me. We have some predictions here, and it starts with Coach V, who's going to take Lutheran over Fort Morgan. And the quote is, quote, Lutheran, in my opinion, is a more complete team than Fort Morgan. This one has the potential of being close, but I'm sticking with Lutheran to go to state. And then Mason will also be taking Lutheran. And he says, quote, this will be close. And I think this is the first time Lutheran will have to play perfect in order to win, end quote. I'm going to make it three for three and take the Lutheran Lions. They just haven't given me a reason to doubt them yet, and I think that they've been on a crash course with Roosevelt since about week five in this season, or whenever Roosevelt overcame Fort Morgan. I think that it's going to be a very interesting series. I hope that there's some kind of scheduling change so that the 3A game isn't all the way in, you know, 
Pueblo while the four and five A championships are in Denver. But whatever, this for sure will be a good game. I wish I could make it out to see Briggs Wheatley battle it out against Clayton Jacobs. The winner of this game probably makes our top five senior quarterbacks list. No promises there. Stay tuned for that content. But here at Playmakers Corner, we have Lutheran favored three for three. Obviously wishing both teams the best of luck. And I personally haven't seen, having seen Fort Morgan live, would not be surprised to see the Fort Morgan defense kind of throw the Lutheran offense for a bit of a loop in the toughest challenge that they will have seen all year. On the other side of the bracket, we have a, another rematch here as Meade gets ready to face off against Roosevelt. And in this game, in the last time these two teams met on October 8th, Roosevelt ran away with a 37-2-7 win over these Meade Mavericks. Meade looking to prove that that was a one-time thing and prove that they can compete for state will come out swinging. You know, I know Simon made it to this game last time. And, you know, he he was thinking Meade was going to be the state winners. That was his preseason prediction. And Roosevelt being my preseason prediction, he's come over to the dark side of the Rough Riders. And he is choosing Roosevelt. He said last time this matchup happened, it wasn't close. So this time it will be closer. But Meade will need to play a near-perfect game to combat Roosevelt's entire team. And Roosevelt will go back to state. Mason will also double down with Roosevelt saying, quote, I think these teams match up well against each other, but I think Roosevelt has the more put-together defense and will make it happen. I am also going to go with the popular opinions on this 3A level, and on all the 3A games, we will agree 3 for 3 that Roosevelt will return back to state. I still have them as my favorite to win state here. Obviously, what happens in this game may have some sway in that, but they have just been a complete team and very dominant this year. And Meade will have to be on their stuff in order to pull this game out. And I just think that that is a very tall order for this Meade team that had the benefit of playing them at home last time, I think. So they will, Roosevelt that is, will repeat their success from last time. And that will actually do it for this 3A segment where we are all choosing Lutheran and Roosevelt to meet in the state title game. Let us know what you think and if you agree with those picks. But we're going to take a break, and coming up after the break, Simon will actually talk about the Eaton versus University game. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. My name is Simon Voyanos, a.k.a. Coach V. And I'm going to go ahead and talk about this Eden versus University playoff game on November 20th. The rematch, the winner of this game, would go to the state championship title game here down in CSU Pueblo. And honestly, this was a game that I actually hoped to see in state. And so for only one of these teams to make it on to you know the state championship game is a uh, kind of a shame because i feel like both of these teams are really good i like players on both of these teams i like their games and whatnot and i believe both of them deserve to go to state but unfortunately here we are in the semifinals in eden by the way this is the last football game that this eden team or that any eden football team 
uh, high school football team that is will play on this specific field because Eden High School is opening up a new building which comes with new facilities and all that and probably a bigger stadium here next year and so I just wanted to say that right now because there are a couple Eden legends you know that played on this field including Austin Eckler, Mitch Unrein, you know a couple NFL guys for sure and you know what maybe some potential legends on this Eden football team right here that would be playing the last ever football game uh, on this field and you know what with that being said this was a packed game you know, the Eden stands for packed. The university stands for packed. There are a lot of people up in here ready for this matchup. You know, obviously, university isn't that far from Eden. So there you go. But you know what? Let's go ahead and hop into this game that became a thriller right off the bat and would stay a thriller for most of this game in the first quarter on the first play on offense for Eden and the first play of the entire game Walker Martin would get the show going and ignite the Eden crowd with a 70 yard touchdown pass to his boy number 10 Austin Martinez actually it was a 70 plus yard pass and so it went down as an 80 yard touchdown throw on the very first play of the game Eden would go ahead and get the PAT and make it 7-0 to kick off this game. This crowd was going after that one, and they would stay going with the fireworks ahead. But, you know what? Greg Garza for University has had a lot of great performances, not only throughout these playoffs, but throughout the season. And he would calm down this crowd by, you know, doing the little things right. And so, at the 9 minute 18 second mark, he would find his boy Kanan Padilla for a 30 yard reception right up the middle. And then at the 8 minute 52 second mark, Greg Garza with a sensational Johnny Manziel-esque play would spin out of a sack from, I believe it was Morgan Trebet, and go ahead and find a player for a 22-yard reception. He was getting bared down by Trebet and another DN, I want to say, and for him to spin out of that and keep this drive alive was pretty big, you know, for University right here. Then a couple seconds later, game clockwise at the 7 minute 55 second mark, Garza would then find his guy, Logan Getting, who would go ahead and get a really nice catch here. He would just sky over the cornerback, and, you know, there was no chance for the corner to contest that one. It was kind of a higher throw, and Logan, he went ahead and got it for another 20-yard reception. And then with 7 minutes, 11 seconds left in the first quarter, Garza would reply back to Martin with a touchdown pass of his own to his guy Tate Chacon. Um, it was maybe a two or three yard touchdown pass here, but here's the big thing here. University would miss the PAT, and so it would still be seven to six with Eden leading this game. Not to be quite outdone just yet, Walker Martin takes the field with the offense once again, and he would go ahead and launch a beautiful 60 yard touchdown throw to number 15, Zach Grable, his first one of the day, to go ahead and make it 14 to 6 after Eden would get their PAT. This was with 5 minutes and 27 seconds left in the first quarter. Now, Greg Garza, he would get the ball back with University, and he would command this offense down the field, beginning with this throw 
to his guy Kanan Padilla at the 4 minute 49 second mark. He would find him for 10 yards for a first down to go ahead and quiet up this crowd just one more time and you know keep this offense steady and going. Then at the 4 minute mark on 3rd down, Garza finds Padilla on a perfect 40 yard throw to the corner of the field making it 14 to 12. They would go for two here, but Eden's defense would stand strong here and prevent it. And so it would be 14 to 12 after that dot, that absolute dot from Garza to Padilla. Padilla would also be diving for the touchdown as well. And so then University would kick off to Eden and Walker Martin and the offense would take over on offense here and they would get it going here you know a little bit more steady not trying to go for too many splash plays running the ball for once and actually at the 2 minute 58 second mark on third down Walker Martin would run for about 10-ish yards and go ahead and grab the first down on third down and then basically right after that you know, Walker Martin would find Zach Grable one more time up the seam for a 40-yard touchdown pass, making it 21-12 after the PAT was made at the 2-minute 11-second mark in this game. Or in the first quarter, sorry, in the first quarter. Finally, though, the first quarter would end as it would be 21-12. And in the second quarter, around the 10-minute 24-second mark, Ryan Dirksen gets a Pretty big sack here on second that would force a third and long, a third and 16. And this would eventually force a punt as they could not get the long conversion here. And you know, this would be the first punt of the game at the 10 minute 24 second mark here in the second quarter, despite it being a 21 to 12 game. Now after some early fireworks in the passing game, Eden goes back to doing what they do best and that is run the ball with all of their running backs. That's Ryan Dirksen, Ryder True, Flores, Ethan Flores, the whole crew, Walker Martin as well. And at the 6 minute 5 second mark, Ryan Dirksen would go ahead and rip off a 20 yard run and then Ryder True would go ahead and rip off another 10 yard run to go ahead and get them in the red zone i believe they are on the 10 maybe a little bit closer here to the end zone so there you go but at the four minute 43 second mark it was number 44 Ryder true who would go ahead and punch it in for about a two yard rushing touchdown for eden um they would fumble on the two point conversion the snap was just a little low there and so eden would not get the two point conversion and it would be 27 to 12 a 15 point lead here with about four minutes 43 seconds left in this first half now at the four minute 21 second mark university they're trying to respond back they punted for the first time you know and so now they're down by two scores here but as they're driving Kanan padilla he gets rocked he gets hit pretty hard and he fumbles eden would recover on the opposing 35 here in a good position to score and possibly put this thing away here and like I said, they're going back to the run game here. And Ryder True, he goes ahead and rumbles with a 10-plus yard run to get the ball into the red zone here. But, you know, Eden, they begin to stall out. They're getting stuffed at the line. So they go back to, pat to the pass on about third down. And Walker, he does actually throw an interception in the end zone it is a pretty good interception as well and so university goes ahead and gets the ball on the 10 preventing an eden score that might have put this game way out of reach before the half came 
on that pick, honestly, Walker, he probably should have thrown it away, but he was definitely trying to get it in there and put in that dagger. But, you know, no worries, though, University. Uh, they are still down 15, and they are driving here. And around the 43-second mark in the second quarter, that is, it is third and 12 for University, but they do catch them with a hard count. Eden encroaches, and so now it's third and seven. Greg Garza would find his guy number 10, um, Paxton Daggett, I want to say here, on an out route, and that would go for about 15 or so yards. And then University, you know, they're still trying to throw the ball here. And then all of a sudden, maybe not out of nowhere, but finally the pressure gets to Garza here. And it's Ryan Dirksen who goes ahead and buries Greg Garza here for Eden, kind of, you know, letting that clock roll a little bit more here now university they still have time they have about 20 ish seconds here they have to call a timeout to stop the clock and so they go ahead and kind of get a big reception here for about i would say 15 to 20 yards but number one he would have a pretty costly block in the back at the seven second mark and so there's about five seconds left it is third and five they didn't get the first down here and so at this point Greg Garza he just needs to take a shot into the end zone if they get it they get it if not it, it is what it is and so he does Walker Martin actually on defense would come down with the interception here and end the first half and right now it is only 27 to 12 it is a 15 point lead only a two score game here and so University is very much in this if they could get something going on offense once again now to start this third quarter it is Kanan Padilla returning and he goes ahead and gets a really nice return to the 47 for University then at the 10 minute 31 second mark Garza throws for about 20 yards on third down to go ahead and cross you know the field and get on the other side then at the 9 minute 32 second mark you know he goes ahead and finds getting for another pretty high reception for about 12 yards making it first and goal they are in the red zone here then at the 8 minute 36 second mark Greg Garza goes ahead and he runs it in for himself after a couple attempts for a touchdown but unfortunately another bad snap would make this a fail two-point conversion once again as it would only be 27 to 18 eden is still leading uh if you know university did get all of their pats assuming they kick it you know this would be a 21 to 27 game but instead it is still only 27 to 18 a two score game basically at this point and so Eden, they get the ball, and they're looking to run this ball, use up as much clock as possible, and they get it going with Ethan Flores. He goes ahead and rips off a pretty nice 25-yard rush here at the 8-minute 23-second mark. And then Walker Martin once again finds his guy Zach Grable on a 35-yard touchdown reception. Grable at this point, he is eating. I believe this is like his third touchdown reception so far of the day and finally actually eden would miss the pat here i believe they would actually try to go for it um go for the two-point conversion and they didn't get it and so it would only be 33 to 18 it is back to a 15 point lead with seven minutes left in the third quarter now 
Greg Garza and University, they are not going away quite yet. And at the 5 minute 57 mark, Garza would find Kanan Padilla for another 20 yard reception here. Then at the 4 minute 20 second mark, it is 3rd and 4 for University. But unfortunately, they get a penalty that will make it 3rd and 9. But no worries here. Garza, he would throw on the run a nice little sidearm throw to his wide receiver, Logan Getting, for a 20-yard reception and a first down to keep this drive alive. Then at the 1 minute 50 second mark on 3rd and 1 just about Garza would take it in himself and gets a first and goal here. He's really close here but they still mark him down but it does not matter. He would run it in from the 1 for a touchdown making it a 33-24 to game before the extra point here. Now a university they would call a pretty nice little trick play here very reminiscent of the uh, you know Philly special but unfortunately even though they would complete the pass to Garza here they would call it back for an illegal formation and so they would actually get one more chance to go ahead and you know try to get a two-point conversion now they would miss that one as well and so it would stay a 33 to 24 game here uh you know these pats at this point are definitely starting to stack up that's already four potential missed points so it is only 33 to 24 instead of 33 to 28 and so there you go at this point it actually starts raining here, and so um, just keep that in mind because it starts raining pretty hard, actually. No lightning or anything, obviously, like that. No delays. It just starts getting a little bit slicker out there, and you could kind of tell. This is with about 40 seconds left in the third. Eden would go ahead and get the ball back, and they would start, you know, ba they would just basically run the ball one or two times um, before getting into the fourth quarter here. In the fourth quarter, though, University would actually force a three and out. This was with about 11 minutes and 53 seconds left uh, in the fourth, and so Eden would punt it back to University, who, you know, gets the ball back. But, you know, they're driving, and number three on Eden actually drops an interception. Um, you know, that if he got it, that might have been game, but he would drop it. They would eventually, you know, get the first down here, and it would come because of a late hit call that would happen. And so University would get a first down and not go three and out quite yet. Now, it is third and three for University, and, you know, they would go ahead and run it in on a halfback dive here, and they would get the first down. There's about nine minutes left after that play. But on third down, Eden would get a huge deflection with about seven minutes, 52 seconds left. And you know what? They would go ahead and lock up and hold on strong on fourth down, causing a turnover on downs here. University would not continue this drive and so Eden will get the ball and they're running this thing man they're trying to use up as much clock as possible here and Ryder True would actually rip off a 40 yard touchdown run with about six minutes 16 seconds away to basically put this one away now they would try a fake 
I think two point conversion here. Like they lined up to kick the field goal, uh, the PAT, and then they would run a fake. That doesn't work out, and so it is only 39 to 24 here as Eden goes back up by two scores. At this point, it's raining pretty hard here. University really has no choice but to throw here. I mean, they could run it, but they would be fighting against their own clock at this point. But it is obviously very, very wet out there as uh, Garza would misfire on a couple passes here. But Eden would actually hold strong here and basically stop them after allowing a first down. They would stop them around the 4 minute 36 second mark and force a turnover on downs after University could not get the first down here as they're struggling to move the ball in this weather. And then at the 2 minute 44 second mark, you know, Eden... They do get stopped here uh, on third, and so they decide to punt it. This punt goes pretty far, and so it ends up being inside the five, actually, for University. And so they have about 90-plus yards to go here, and they're driving, they're driving. Honestly, it's a two-score game. It's raining, so it's not looking really good. It looks like Eden actually has this one in the bag and if that wasn't obvious at the 1 minute 38 second mark Ryan Dirksen will basically go ahead and get a pretty huge sack here this is after a 40 yard reception by Tate Chacon uh, but Dirksen would go ahead and get a sack that would kind of set back that university offense kind of a bit but university they're still driving hopefully they're they're hoping to get a score here with under a minute left and then maybe kick the uh onside and get the ball back to potentially you know score again and hopefully tie the game but that would mean that they would have to get at least one two-point conversion for that to happen as well and so that's what they're keeping in mind here as they're driving with less than a minute left but it would actually be Ethan Flores who would come up with basically the game-ending interception. Eden would take a knee or two here, and that would be it. Eden, final score, wins 39-24 in a very valiant effort from University to challenge them here in the semifinal game. But Eden would win this one and win their final game ever on this football field so many greats like i said played on this field including some of the guys on this eden team right now who have a chance to two-peat as they go back to state for the second straight year in a row to finally defend their title here in the state championship game in pueblo so there you go eden goes back to state here after a very good performance from everyone on the team really and so with that being said, let me go ahead and talk about stats here. Walker Martin played excellent this game, getting the party started, getting the crowd involved here, you know, and Eden, they're not really a passing team, but, you know, they opened up the playbook here and showed like, yo, you better guard our receivers well and double team some of these guys or we're just going to rip you apart up and down this field. And it showed as Walker Martin went 5 of 8 for 261 passing yards with a 62% completion rating. He threw for 5 passing touchdowns, only one interception there on that goal line there. And so he would lead this offense here. But rushing wise, you know, you had a bunch of different guys who would get carries. Walker would get some carries. Flores had some 
some carries. Only had seven carries this game for 52 yards. Ryder True got a couple carries. Um, Ryan Dirksen got a couple carries for 44 and 51 yards, respectively. Ryder True would also have that rushing touchdown earlier in the game. Then receiving-wise, uh, Martinez with that one reception for 80 yards and a touchdown. Um, Grable, Zach Grable going crazy. Three receptions for three receiving touchdowns, 144 receiving yards. This university defense was spread pretty thin. They couldn't afford to double Grable, and so he went ahead and made them pay there. And then actually, that 40-yard-ish run by Ryder True, that was a pitch. So I guess it goes down as a reception here. And so Ryder True actually has a reception for 37 receiving yards. And a receiving touchdown. And then that adds on obviously another touchdown for Walker Martin here. So there you go there. Uh, defensively, Ryder True, 14 total tackles. Uh, one TFL. Flores, he had 15 total tackles. He was getting in there. Dirksen bringing the pressure with 13 total tackles. And then sack-wise, Trebet, he had one and a half sacks. Ryan Dirksen had one and a half sacks. And then your two interceptions, one for each. Walker Martin and Flores each grabbing one. Now, even though they came up a little bit short here, I do want to talk about this university team because they battled and they really pushed Eden here. You know, you got to remember earlier on in the season, uh, you know, university became the only team to have a lead over Eden going into the fourth quarter, which is huge. That was their closest game of the year. And so you already knew this one was going to be close here and they're going to pull out everything to beat out this Eden team at home, by the way. Which is not easy to do, especially against small towns like Eden, who absolutely pack the stands whenever possible, especially for a chance to make it into the playoffs. And so Greg Garza, his last game as a senior here, went 25 of 42 um, with a solid 59% completion rating for 382 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, two interceptions. He would also run 20 times for 30 yards and two uh, rushing touchdowns as well. And then receiving wise, Tate Chacon, four receptions, 64 receiving yards, one receiving touchdown. Caden Padilla doing in a, putting in a lot of work here, just making it happen. He had 11 receptions for 171 receiving yards and one receiving touchdown. So there you go. There defensively, you know, you have some guys here. Uh, Virgil, number 44, their middle linebacker. Uh, Jack Virgil, he would lead the team with 10 total tackles. Caden Padilla would actually have that interception on the goal line on Walker Martin. And then uh, I believe it is Baxley, Keon Baxley. He recovered two fumbles for uh, University here in this game. But like I said, unfortunately, they come up short, only losing 39-24 to Eden, who will be going to the state championship game, which we will be at. And so just wanted to say congrats to Eden on going ahead and making it happen, beating a very tough team here in the semis to go ahead and go to state. And then I just want to say I'm sorry to University for their season, unfortunately, being cut short here as they will go home after a very good run here in the playoffs, upsetting basically every team they played, Delta, Moffat County, and, you know, giving Eden their best shot here, despite it raining for basically the entire fourth quarter and not being able to pass it there, you know. So there you go. Big props to them 
But once again, congrats to Eden. And yeah. And congratulations to Eaton for punching their second consecutive ticket to state for the 2A level in football. And so talking about the other team that made state, we had a matchup of some Patriot League teams, East and West, and that was Brush versus Severance here. And so Severance, they came out swinging and actually struck first, you know, after a Caden Donovan forced fumble, Severance got the ball quick to start the game and got a quick touchdown. And, you know, Caden Donovan once again made a big play, stopping a brush drive with an interception in the first quarter with Severance's back kind of against the wall. But, and Brush just rode a, an incredible second quarter to, you know, kind of a coasting win the, the rest of the way. You know, they got a touchdown rush from Kyle Wellen to tie it up. And then another touchdown, you know, Rush took a lead that they would not let go of for the rest of the game. And they also completed a pass for a score to make it a two-score game with just a minute to go in the half. Uh, Severance did buckle down and get some a string of completions and got into field goal range and left the second half only down by 11. And then kind of a botched kickoff on Brush's part made this game really interesting as Severance got a safety to start the second half and make this a 21 to 12 game and other than that the third quarter was pretty uneventful but you know brush got a rushing touchdown with eight minutes left in the fourth to take a 28 to 12 lead that would prove to be too much i mean severance did respond with a rushing score of their own with six minutes to go but failed the two-point conversion that would have made this a one score game and were down by 10 and Brush iced it with another rushing score to walk away with a ticket to the championship. I don't know if they've been to the 2A championship or not, but, you know, they certainly have an intriguing matchup ahead of them against the defending state champs in Eaton. And some notes that I had from this game is that Brush ran silly over this Severance offense, running for 274 yards on the day and just grinded out this win. And they also forced four interceptions this game against a Severance passing attack that proved to be a little bit too much for the third-seeded TCA Titans. And so, you know, they're going to try and see a lot of that success at the same time in their state appearance. But will it be enough? Let's go ahead and jump into the predictions here. For the 2A state championship, I will be picking Eaton to repeat as the 2A state champions. I just think that Brush doesn't show me enough in the passing game as they only pass for 23 yards on the day. And Eaton is a much more fierce defense than Severance was. I just don't think Brush will be able to compete with this Eaton team. And that sentiment, I believe, is going to be shared. You know, Mason, he took Eaton. He's just going with the favor here. And then Simon is taking Eaton as well. Say being quoted as saying, quote, Eaton has dominated in every game this year except for against University and Resurrection Christian. Eaton has done a good job preserving their running backs while figuring out a good passing attack. Eaton repeats, end quote. And so I think that the multiple dimensions to this Eaton offense and just the overall strength and brutality they have brought to everybody has been resounding. They have not lost a single game this year. You know, Brush, they've also had a really impressive season, only losing to a 3A team in Severance earlier this year. 
and you know beating some playoff teams along the way including Basal and Resurrection Christian both of those are very impressive wins and then obviously beating Severance so you know Brush I would not be surprised if they surprised us one last time here in the Thunder Bowl in Pueblo so best of luck to both these teams and congratulations to two teams that have made incredible runs towards the state championship this year we will be there saturday at the thunderbolt at 6 p.m is when this eaton team will face off on a neutral site against the brush high school beat diggers it will be such a good game i'm so excited for it and stay tuned for more coverage to come on saturday we will be posting it on our instagram our twitters we should have live score updates as well as you know uh, Facebook will have probably the final result. If you don't follow us on any of those, please make sure to follow us at Playmakers Corner on Instagram, at Playmaker Corner on Twitter. We will probably have a TikTok released as well, at Playmakers Corner on TikTok. And we will definitely, definitely talk about it next week on our Week 14 recap episode, where you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Anchor. So please stay tuned for how that game ends. I'm so excited to cover our first championship weekend in person as Playmakers Corner. But that'll do it for this 2A segment. And last but not least, we are going to recap the 1A playoffs and talk about our championship predictions coming up next. Hello y'all and welcome to the final segment of this episode of Playmakers Corner. And thank you so much for your patience as we prepare to wrap up our 1A for the last round of the playoffs and make our prediction for the championship round. And so first things first, I'm going to talk about the Lyman Badgers versus Ray Eagles game. This game was actually played in Ray, which I thought was really interesting. But nevertheless, it delivered on some serious hype initially, but then kind of fell into the game that everyone expected where, you know, on this opening drive, Ray had some really good stuffs, but Lyman stayed true to that power run. And, you know, Leaper, he took a toss and cut it inside and found Pater. And, you know, uh, Lyman goes for two here, actually, and misses. Uh, there's an interesting call. I think that Lyman, eh, it was a lot closer then it, it may have looked, but Lyman doesn't get the two-point conversion. They have a 6-0 to zero lead before their defense just swallows up the Ray offense hole. And, you know, Lyman gets the ball back. But the Ray defense steps up here, and they force a turnover on downs on the three-yard line. And also, their passing game uh, finds a first down. And after one quarter, Lyman only led 6 to nothing which sounds, I don't know what it sounds like to you, but really this game doesn't get really out of hand until the second half. And so, you know, Ray, they really want to score here early and keep this game close. But on fourth and one, the snap gets a little low and Gabe Shubarth, who is such a stud running back for this Lyman team, blows it up in the backfield and gives Lyman the ball at the 39. And so, you know, they, they find... A way to score here on I believe this was one of Trey Hines' touchdown passes on the day actually to Stephen Murray. He this was a 40-yard completion for a touchdown. He was a 
He's a junior from Holyoke here, and man, Lyman has got to be super glad that he is here because they get a score and the two-point conversion to increase their lead to 14 to nothing, and it looks a little bit more like a normal football game. Then, on the next drive, the Ray quarterback, Casey Midcap, the freshman, he throws a perfect back shoulder fade that is dropped by his receiver, and Ray cannot block number 71 on Lyman, who is just ripping through this line constantly. And number five for Lyman also gets a play here and gets a massive sack on third and 10 to force a fourth and 16 that Ray has to punt on. So Lyman, you know, they get the football and they run a fullback dive for a pretty big carry out at number five here. And, you know, in this first half, you know, with three minute, three and a half minutes left, Leaper already had 14 carries for 94 yards and was just gashing this Ray defense. And that was before Shoebarth came in here and stiff-armed two defenders for an 18-yard run for a first. But, you know, Ray, they think that they have Lyman figured out and they get a stop, but then they're called for offsides. They stuff the run, but then Shoebarth makes it to the 7. Scores, but a holding penalty brings it back to the 17. But that doesn't matter. Gabe Shoebarth runs right and spins inside left and is surrounded by literally no one to increase the Lyman lead to 20 to nothing heading into halftime. So Ray, they got to come out. They got to score. They got to close the gap, but they just can't do that. And uh, they get stopped by Lyman on their opening drive. And Shubarth, he rips off a long run to get inside the 40-yard line. But Ray, they get a couple of good defensive plays here and a sack on third and seven to force a punt on fourth and 15. And, you know, Ray... They start at their own 14-yard line down 20 to nothing with seven minutes and seven seconds left in this third quarter. And they complete a quick pass for a first down, another few yards on a pass, and another first down. Ray has it second and 10 on the 42 uh, with one of their better drives that day. That unfortunately stalls out, and they are forced to punt. And so Lyman with the ball at the 14-yard line. Trey Hines finds... I believe it's Kaler Schmidt, yeah, their wide receiver, for a 75-yard touchdown catch and run. And they also complete a slant for a two-point conversion to go up 28 to nothing. By this point, this game is starting to feel lopsided. Ray isn't really looking like they have a chance to compete in this game. And so, you know, they get the ball back and they get a couple of completions and move down the field. And they get a little bit of help here too because number 71 for Lyman, you know, a sack turns into a huge gain that's a face mask here and they get the ball on the eight yard line and they just stall out again and overthrow eight here and uh lyman gets the ball back and trey hines recovers a high snap and takes it himself to the house to make it 35 to nothing i mean ray on the next drive you know they finally score and uh Schuenthal, credit to Schuenthal here for wrestling into the end zone to get Ray on the board and converting a two-point conversion, making it 35-8. to But Lyman scored again in the fourth to make it 42-8. to I stopped watching at this point, but just to go through the box score here and talk about some notable performances, I mean, senior Jeremiah Leeper, we Ben knew that he's a dog. He had 20 carries for 125 yards and the score in the first quarter. And Gabe Schubarth, did a lot of the heavy lifting the rest of the day. 11 carries for 125 yards and the two scores that I talked about in that first half. On the receiving end, Brady Rockwell 
caught a pass for 16 yards. But other than that, it was Kaylor Schmidt and Stephen Murray's 40 plus yard touchdown receptions that gave Trey Hines a perfect 177.1 rating on the day, going three for three for 131 yards and two touchdowns as well. So, you know, they had that going for them. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they were swarming this Ray offense and holding them to very little. You had Kai Bandy, number five, get a sack, as well as Ellie Wysinski, number 55. The guy I was talking about a lot, Trayton Marks, he's a sophomore, number 71 for this Lyman team. He was going crazy this game with five tackles, and they definitely did not get all those tackles for loss because he was constantly in this Ray backfield. He also had senior linebacker Brady Rockwell contribute nine tackles, Gabe Schuthbarth with that tackle for a loss that I talked about earlier, as well as, you know, uh, Eli Wisensi had eight tackles, including one for loss. And then Michael Hoffman, a junior, had seven tackles, number 88. Trey Hines, he recovered that fumble from Ray and took it 93 yards to the house for one of the scores. And, uh, Kai Bandy forced a fumble as well that Miguel Nunez recovered. And Trayton Marks is uh, credited with that missed snap, I guess, but that wasn't really him. So, you know, Lyman, they dominate as they have all year. Ray, they just really could not get anything going. I mean, on the day, they only averaged two and a half yards per carry. Uh, their leading rusher had 31 yards and their second one had 30 yards. So they just could not get it going. Casey Midcap was playing his heart out and has a bright future ahead of him with a final stat line of 18 for 27 for 183 yards and a score. But, I mean, he was being let down quite a bit. There was a lot of drops this game. I'm looking at junior here, Chris Arambula. I'm going to call up on him. While he did finish with five receptions for 69 yards, he had a lot of drops that were just, you know, that added up, you know, over time and really could have kept some of these, you know, some of these drives alive. And then, you know, junior running back, Caden Bauer, he was getting pummeled this game. He lost two fumbles on the day. And so he was just getting rocked. And if it weren't for, you know, number 84 Schoenthal with that touchdown grab and, you know, fighting for the end zone in his day, seven receptions for 99 yards, this Ray team otherwise could not get really anything going. Yeah, junior Brady Collins on the defensive side of the ball do his thing with two tackles for loss. Also, junior Tell Wade, who had two tackles for loss. And then Rice Peterson, their senior linebacker, who had 12 total tackles on the day. And Tell Wade also tagging in a sack. So they have a lot of juniors on this team. This is a pretty young team. They shouldn't be discouraged. I would expect this team to probably make another Final Four run next year, if not a run for the championship kudos to the Ray Eagles but in the end the defending state champs Lyman light it up and proceed to the state championship on the west side of this bracket you had the undefeated matchup of the Buena Vista Demons and the Centauri Falcons in what looked to be a big matchup between two and three but fell short of expectations here you know as the Falcons defense just suffocated this Buena Vista offense until the end of the game. You had the foul. It's it's called the fast break offense, the fast break Falcons here. They were constantly getting great matchups against an unset defense as they, you know, 
they they found big plays here. They started off with Mason Clonch getting outside and finding Pater on a 53-yard touchdown run to go up seven to nothing. And you know they they get an interception on Buena Vista's next drive to set up on the 15. And so heading into the second quarter, Centauri led seven to nothing, but it was all downhill for Buena Vista from there because they get a couple of great passes from Shawcroft here. And the hurry-up offense helps Clonch break off a decent run down the left sideline. And, you know, they also catch the Buena Vista defense with too many men on the field. And, you know, on the next play, Buena Vista blew up this run. They nailed Mason Clonch in the backfield here. But that didn't matter because they ripped off another 60-yard run on the next play to go up 14 to nothing. Then Buena Vista, they've been down before this year, and they were looking to prove that they had the grit even here in the semifinals and so Buena Vista's Hayden Camp he evades two potential sacks and hucks it down the left sideline but Devin Brady came down with the interception granted Centauri could not capitalize and they had to punt so Buena Vista you know they're looking to go for it it's fourth and one on their own 30 yard line and they get absolutely stuffed like a Thanksgiving turkey and the turnover on downs gives Centauri the ball on the 30 yard line going in and so Mason Clonch rips off a 20-yard run on the left side on the first play. And then a quick power sets him up on the one. And Shawcroft gets in with a QB sneak to increase the lead 21 to nothing. That, you know, is the is the score going into halftime. And so Centauri comes out of the half with a 21-0 lead. They start with the ball. And a 30-yard clunch touchdown with great cuts and bounces makes it 28 to nothing. And so Buena Vista, it's do or die time. And on fourth and five, they target Tucker Storms here. And the pass comes up incomplete. And so Centauri gets the ball at the 30-something yard line. And so Mason Clunch rips off another big run. He does get called for unsportsmanlike, and that puts him on a little bit of a watch here because if he did get called for another one, he would have to serve a half-game suspension and would miss the first half of the championship game, which would be disastrous for this Centauri team's championship hopes here. And so he, you know, kind of pulls it together, but you'd have to be feeling yourself after a 40-yard run on the Buena Vista defense, and they just could not stop him on this day and so you know they they get a, another stop here on the Buena Vista actually stops Centauri here on this drive and makes him stall out but then they have to punt and Shawcroft hits a deep seam route over the middle to show that Centauri has another dimension to their game to set up on the three yard line and Devin Brady finds the end zone this time to make it 35 to nothing and then Holman here for Centauri hauls in a one-handed 26-yard touchdown catch to make it 42 to nothing and instill the mercy rule just before the fourth quarter. And I actually stopped watching at this point. Later in this game, Hayden Camp would find Tacker Storms to make sure that they didn't end their season on a goose egg. But otherwise, the Centauri offense just overwhelmed this Buena Vista defense to the tune of 42 points as they have all year. They have just been super dominant on the offensive side of the ball. And their defense stepped up against a very good Buena Vista team to show that they are more than just Mason Clonch, even though he was making plays on the defensive side of the ball as well. 
kudos to this Buena Vista team who put in a heck of a season. Really glad we got to talk to Hayden Camp. He really let us in on just how far this Buena Vista team could make it. They have a lot of guys returning next year, including Hayden Camp. They are going to look to be back and go even further, but congratulations on a good season this year. Nothing to hang your heads on. They're still next year. I think you guys will still be around, and you guys put on a great season this year. And congratulations to Tucker Storms on a solid, uh, good, a great even high school career, as well as Seth Moss over there, who will also be graduating this year. But they still have plenty of talent coming back and will be back. And Centauri, congratulations on proving us wrong consistently. I think all of our hosts had someone else in the championship game that wasn't Centauri over on this side of the bracket, and you proved us all wrong. So good luck in the chip. And so now we are in the championship where the Lyman Badgers will face the Centauri Falcons on Saturday in the CSU Pueblo Thunder Bowl. And I just want to give a quick tale of the tape of these two teams. Lyman comes in with a 12-0 record and the one seed and looking to four-peat following their season where they beat Meeker 43-6 to start, Strasburg 20 to nothing, Bennett 46 to nothing. Three consecutive playoff teams there to start the season with huge margins of victory, the closest one being within 20. Then they beat Cole Ridge to conclude their non-league play 55-7. And then in league play, they proved dominant once again, beating Yuma in Yuma 34-10, beating Burlington 49-7, the only non-playoff team in their league, I might add. Then they beat Ray 41-0 in Ray. They beat Holyoke 40-14. They beat Wiggins. They had to actually overcome a deficit in the first half, actually, to beat this Wiggins team that was one of their closer games this year, beating them 59-27 before heading into playoffs where they faced Bennett for a second time at home, winning 45-0. They then beat one of the Western teams, North Fork 46-19, in a playoff game as well before beating Ray 42 to eight in Ray for the second time this year. And they are 12 and 0 heading into this championship game. Meanwhile, Centauri enters with an 11 0 record. They have also beaten some pretty good teams this year, including Ray 28 to 14. They beat Colorado Springs Christian 47 to zero. They beat a two a squad in Pagosa Springs 45 to 13. They then destroyed Strasburg 48-3. They then beat Center 62-6. That is a 1A team. I, I hadn't covered Center yet, so I wasn't as familiar, but they beat them 66. They beat a 2A team in Northfield, who was a playoff team 41-12. They won a forfeit over Ignacio. Then they beat another playoff team in Monte Vista to, you know, advance... Uh, that was a 55-8 to eight win. That was a league win as well. So they play in a very interesting league. And so their first draw of the playoffs was against a Peyton team that won their league. They beat them 45-6. to six. They then faced Yuma, who just was feeling themselves off of, off of an upset against the higher-seeded Strasburg team. They beat Yuma 42-7. And then they just beat Buena Vista 42-6 to become 11 and 0 and make it to this championship game. And so let's talk about who that who we have in this game for our picks. And so I'm going to start off with Mason Austin here. He is going to take the Lyman Badgers here. He said it's going to be a close game and he's excited 
that he's going to be able to see it. And I am sure that we all are. This will be the first game that we will actually see that is a championship game all together as Playmakers Corner. Stay tuned on our Twitter where we will have live tweets to update the score as well as our Instagram where we hope to catch some of the highlights of this game and post it to our story. And then we will recap the entire game on our week 14 recap next week. So stay tuned for that anywhere you listen to podcasts. But anyways, back to the picks. We have Mason Austin choosing the Lyman Badgers to finish his bracket as the 1A champions. And Simon here is going to double down on his preseason pick and take Lyman over Centauri saying, quote, they made it this far, dominating the competition. I'll give credit to Centauri for making it work so far, but Lyman should feel confident not only being the defending champions, but the three-time defending champs. It's time to make it four, end quote. So Simon is riding high on the Badger wave. Meanwhile, me, I chose Lyman to win in my preseason bracket. I chose Lyman in my bracket just before the postseason. But after seeing what Centauri did to Buena Vista, I have got to tip my hats and change my mind a little bit. Even though if Lyman still wins, I'll still say that I was right because of my preseason prediction. But anyways, I am going to go with the upset pick here and take the fast break Falcons to beat Lyman for the first time in four years and take this championship on the heels of a monster performance from Mason Clonch who just might be the best athlete in all of 1A football, maybe even 1 or 2A football, and is trying to crack his way onto our top five running backs list. A win here in state would ensure that, well, potentially ensure that. Stay tuned for that list. But here you have it, Playmakers Corner 2-1, to one, voting in favor of the Lyman Badgers to win the 1A state championship. We obviously wish both teams tons of luck and we are excited as ever to see these games and cannot wait. Now that all the playoff talk is out of the way, it is time for our playmakers of the week. Just going to fire through these on the 1A level, Mason Clonch of the Centauri Falcons with multiple rushing touchdowns and over 150 scrimmage yards was an absolute beast and integral to Centauri's run to state as well as their big victory over Buena Vista. He outshined everyone else on the field. As for the 2A level, I'm going to go with Simon Villanos' recommendation here to Walker Martin, who on the day went 5 for 8 for 261 yards passing, 5 passing touchdowns and only 1 interception. He tacked on another 9 carries for 32 yards and also intercepted Greg Garza just before the half to help Eaton overcome the University Bulldogs. Honorable mention will go to Zach Grable, who had three receptions for 144 yards and three touchdowns. On the 3A level, there were plenty of guys to choose from. Briggs Wheatley and Clayton Jacobs were two to came, that came to mind, but I'm assuming one of those guys will probably win it this week, depending on whoever comes out on top. But I'm going to have to err on the side of Tucker Peterson out of Roosevelt High School. Five receptions for 111 yards, two scores, as well as an interception, just being unguardable and averaging a gaudy 22 yards per reception on this Saturday uh, afternoon against Holy Family. On the 4A level, there are lots of options. I mean, Chatfield alone had three with Mason Lowe, Brock Narva, as well as Jake Marshall, obviously. 
You had the Montrose backfield putting up some great candidates and Blake Barnett for Erie. But I'm going to have to give it with the defensive stud, Brett Alvey out of Pine Creek. 19 tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss, including the game ceiling slash saving tackle on the goal line on fourth down to send a very tough Loveland team home and help a Colorado Springs team beat Loveland in the playoffs for the first time since 2008 and send Pine Creek to the final four. What a performance from Brett Alvey, who is a defensive stud. And last but not least, on the 5A level, I'm going to give it to legend quarterback Colton Warner with honorable mentions going to the record-setting week of Gavin Sawchuck, as well as the comeback performance on the heels of Liam Zarka out of Grandview. And I could give it to the entire Cherry Creek backfield, but I'm going to give it to Colton Warner here going 11 of 17 for 160 yards and three passing scores and also getting a receiving touchdown on a trick play. So that will be the playmakers of the week here on our week 13 recap. We wish all of these fellas the best of luck heading into the next round and we will be covering them this weekend. You can follow us on playmakers corner on twitter at playmaker corner you can follow us on instagram at playmakers corner we might make some tiktok content at playmakers corner we are definitely making tiktok content for our top five lists which if you haven't listened to those we have tight ends as well as linebackers currently out and we will have safeties i believe coming out this week on friday so stay tuned for all of that action anywhere you listen to podcasts spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, or anchor is great place to listen to all those. And you can see all those announcements on our social medias and all of the link trees are in our bios. Or you can listen to episodes, specifically some of our older episodes on our website, playmakerscorner.com. Thank you so much for rocking with us on this recap. Best of luck to these teams. Let us know what your predictions are for this upcoming round of playoffs and stay tuned for the rest of Colorado football playoffs. I have been your host, Cody Stoffer, and peace out.